on headphones. Uh, we don't have to. Whatever your preference is. No, nah. it's pretty. It's, it's nice, nice and <laughs> quiet. I want to fuck up your hair. No, no it's true. <laughs> Same so for yours. Yeah, I, mean, exactly. I, th- I feel like we're sporting a very similar lid nowadays as well. Yeah, you know I cut my own hair now. Do you? Yeah, because. Ah. Like, I value my time so much. I'm You're not, not even leaving. To, I'm not even leaving to the right, barbers. I rate that. Fair. Because a lot of places, they're all like trendy, hipster places. Yeah. And people are willing to queue like an hour, two hours to get a haircut. To me, that makes no sense. Yeah, to exactly. sit in the chair for 45 You just waste three hours of your day. And you're paying for that time as yeah. well. It's not like you're making money. And they don't even wash your hair. Yeah, well, to be fair, I've actually found a really good barber's nearby. And now you and stick to them. Yeah, it's, it's not cheap, to be fair, but it's... um. It's good. It's the full hair wash experience. Okay. You know? I book an appointment. I walk in. You shut up. He's done it. And I'm yeah. out. So like 40 minutes. I see. That's, I yeah. mean, that is the best way to do it. And the problem is the places here, they're just so busy. They don't yeah. take bookings. They have a chalkboard and you've got to write your name. That's old school. <laughs> so there's a queue. Yeah. I'm like, I'll never queue outside. Yeah, exactly. You don't even have a seat for me. Yeah. To come back in two hours. I'm like, hell no. Jeez, what a business model. Yeah, it's cash only business. Cheers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No one will ever really know how much that business is making. Yeah, no one ever does. Yeah. Every time like... When I go to barbers, like, oh, my card machine doesn't work. I'm like, oh, how convenient. Yeah. I want to say this because I think you have single-handedly ruined my flying experience. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Why is that? When you was able to give me that upgrade, I was so enlightened by w- the possibilities <laughs> yeah, yeah. of what comfort could be yeah. when flying long-haul flights. And my goodness, it just changed my outlook. I, I don't know where to begin because... Laying flat, there's just nothing like it. You almost don't want the flight to end, do you? Yeah. It, beca- it really does become part of the, the trip or the holiday in particular. Um, my mum is quite a nervous flyer and she mm. she just does not like flying at all. Like she usually dreads going away on long haul flights. Um, whereas I just took them, myself and my girlfriend just took them to the Maldives yeah. last week, as mentioned. And it's the first time she's ever flown business okay. um, with us. And it's just like a different experience. A, she just got off the other end. She's like, you feel relaxed. Yeah. It's like you're, yeah, you you don't feel so stressed. It's, I feel like 50% of my jet lag is gone yeah. because you be, you just been able to relax. Well, the flight there as well was a night flight. So we boarded, we took off at like 7 p.m. Mm. And you wake, you have dinner and then you wake up in the morning and you've slept like a full six, eight hours. Wow, like, how long was the flying time? Uh, so I think it was like just under 10 hours there and about 11 home. Oh, that's actually not that bad. Yeah, but the flight home was a day flight. So it's like, do you sleep? Do you not sleep? Yeah. So that's where the sort of jet lag is a bit more induced. But I see. Um, but yeah, like it's, uh, it's, it's nice. It's definitely a perk of the job. And it's nice yeah. being able to look after guys like yourself. and Honestly, I was and so thankful, especially that was a time when I was long distance with my wife. Yeah. yeah. So when I would have to... I remember when I got the upgrade when I was leaving to come back home. I was just so sad. I was holding back tears. <laughs> and I said to you, just laying down just helped. Because uh, I could just put some of those in my face and just chill. Good, man. Good. But that is one thing I can't do. I can't sleep on a plane. Okay. No yeah. matter how, I just, I just can't do it. Yeah. Even a night flight, just... Even the night flights, I'm talking, I'll get like 15 minutes and yeah. that is it. And no matter what, my next day is always compromised. Like, I don't know if there's like a, a travel hack to get around that. Uh, not really. I think it's more of just the sort of environment you're in, isn't it? Some people just just can't sleep. Any? Are you a good sleeper normally? Like, do you, are you quite no. fussy with your sleep? I mean, I've been switching mattresses. This is the third mattress in like two months. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's, it, it's a. Uh, I mean, you're not at home in your bed, are you? In your own 
personal space yeah. you are sat with another 250 travelers yeah um you've got people constantly walking past and despite the fact you're lying flat you're still on an airplane so it's yeah, not true yeah i completely get it like on the way home i struggled to sleep slightly on the day flights but yeah. usually i'm a pretty good sleeper do you like take full advantage of the alcohol i don't really drink that much to be honest mate. yeah i don't see yeah i've um i think last year i probably touched booze about four or five different occasions one of them was a uh, best New friend's years. wedding one yeah. of them was new year's and then the other ones were just sort of random birthdays and stuff yeah but just every now and then just not really interested anymore yeah i think for you specifically you're able to maintain like a great shape thank you. you're beyond shredded <laughs> oh, thank you i mean coming, coming from the man himself no nah, it's, it's a great like the people who actually do go work out you can understand the struggle yeah. and where actually takes to become lean yeah because yeah. that is not for everyone no it's not the and diet becomes tiresome you know and that's the thing like you put all this energy into going to the gym and sleep and training and nutrition and then i'm trying to just be like hype not hyper focused but almost hyper efficient in like everything i'm doing nowadays and i'm not at all like, i'm i'm definitely not an example of it at all but i don't want to like go to the gym and do all this stuff and then just ruin it all by boozing constantly because yeah. for me it's the sleep um, I just die if I don't get enough sleep, especially if work and sort of yeah. changing, changing shifts and whatnot. Mm. Um, and I don't think, I, I don't know if we've spoken about this, I've got an autoimmune disease. Okay. So I got diagnosed at like 24 and it's uh, like reactive arthritis. So if I drink booze, my body is like, just falls apart. Wow. I've got sciatica like down both legs. It's pretty No way. Pretty I think, grim. was that the reason why... I remember speaking to you briefly many years ago. It was like, you couldn't train legs for that reason. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. see. So, so you couldn't squat. That's it, yeah. I got like, it was a pretty dark time to be fair. Cause 24 years old, like I've always been really into sport and active. And yeah. like, obviously the gym's a big part of my life as it is yours. And then get this autoimmune disease. And they're like, oh, well, we don't really know what your outlook's going to be like. And at that point I could barely walk. <clears throat> no way. Yeah, I could barely walk. Um, but yeah, I, I lost like 10 kilograms because I was like 104 kilograms at that point as well. Yeah. So I was like a big chonker. Yeah. I, had, <laughs> I had some weight to lose. Um, and ever since then, touch wood, it's been so manageable. So How, how did you manage to get around that? Uh, Just diet changed. Obviously, like was going out two or three times a week and um, I think just matured a bit with i see not, not saying that it's, it's immature going out and drinking but just it's just a time just, of your life you know yeah. i can't knock it i can't fault it 100 percent. like it was brilliant like 21 to like 24 like yeah. it was just like weird. did you go university no I, so you went straight to pilot school yeah so i didn't i uh i finished sixth form and then had sort of four or five months out and then went straight into pilot school but whilst doing my pilot training i did a degree alongside of it so it was like, a, I can't remember what it was called, a BSc honours degree in professional aviation pilot practices. Wow. So Didn't very, very niche. Existed. Yeah, yeah, it's niche, isn't it? But uh, um, that, what does that get you? Well, it's a it's a BSc honours degree. So I don't know if that will prove helpful in the future with anything, but it means I can then go in to do a master's pretty much straight away. So I've got the degree qualification, um, which I did actually start doing throughout COVID, but that's a, that's a separate story. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, the main benefit of doing it was because pilot training is so expensive. I think it was all in all like £130,000 yeah. I spent to get into the industry, which is just like, that is name crazy. another job that you have to spend that much money to yeah. get I, into it. You, do, I bet you barely get to meet any pilots. Yeah. And not everyone talks about how they actually even can become a pilot. Yeah. You know, it seems so lucrative. It does. It seems like this uh, hidden secret, but I think 
the main reason that people don't talk about it and there aren't many pilots is because of that entry cost. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to sort of help people with, with the online website and stuff is trying to say, look, I didn't come from a particularly wealthy background. We were incredibly, we were very comfortable. Um, my parents gave me like a fantastic childhood growing up and everything, but we weren't, we weren't rich at all. Yeah. Like my mum and dad didn't have 130 grand to throw at my pilot training. And I certainly didn't have any money saved at 18 years old. Um, so yeah, it was a, luckily my parents had enough equity in the house to borrow some more money. Mm. Um, I then took out a loan as well. And then I also used the pilot degree to take student, a student loan for it as well. So I was pulling in money from like multiple sources and now luckily it's all paid off been in the industry now for eight years, but yeah, still wow. got like a student loan, um, overhead, just about finished paying off all the pilot loans and stuff and still paying back my parents. So, wow. yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's eye-wateringly expensive unless people do have the financial background and have mm. parents that have enough equity in properties who are happy to guarantee their loan against their property, which yeah. well, can be a really risk. risky. It is a big yeah. risk. Yeah, huge. I mean, pilot training is not it's easy. It's not guaranteed either, right? No, definitely yeah. not. Um, and whether you get a job at the end of your pilot training or not is, yeah. isn't down to you, but you still have to pay off that loan. I see. And obviously, if you finished your pilot training just before COVID hit... You then okay. had two years where there was just no one recruiting and recruitment's yeah. only just started again. So I see. It's a pretty, it's a pretty volatile, volatile industry because I mean, if you're, I don't know, if you're an accountant and you lose your job because the accountancy firm goes under, you can apply to another accountancy firm or yeah. vice versa for different jobs. Whereas once the aviation industry goes, like once one airline starts making redundancies, the chances are it's because of a global crisis like COVID. So there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, of course. Um, so I had loads of friends working at like Tesco's and Waitrose and that were pilots like that. or mm. in that industry. Pilots, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot crazy. of my friends over COVID. A lot of them lost their jobs and yeah, working sort of stacking shelves and whatnot. At Tesco. Because I do remember like during traveling for, during that time was next to impossible, mm. and everyone working in the aviation industry was hit so hard because yeah. there was no really date to when the next flight would open. Yeah, exactly. No one knew. Was it going to be a month? Was it going to be a year? Was it going to be 10 years? Like it was, yeah, it was, um, yeah, pretty, pretty hard to swallow. That was for sure. Um, very lucky that I was living in a, I'd been in the industry at that point for five or six years. So I was slightly better off than some might've been that have just entered the industry as mentioned with huge overheads and pilot loans and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty uncertain time. That's for sure. I was looking at starting, like sort of starting again in my career and moving into another industry. And no way. Yeah. I mean, I was doing all sorts of stuff, um, like learning all about e-commerce, like app building, like that sort of stuff, which was actually a real blessing in disguise because now I, although working as a pilot is my main job, like we've got all of these sort of side ventures on the outside. Yeah. And when COVID happened, I was completely dependent on that monthly paycheck from my employer yeah. and that it didn't go all together. I was lucky that the furlough scheme kicked in, yeah. but all of my eggs were in one basket. I was just all in yeah. on the pilot salary. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't blame you though, you know? Yeah. But it's, uh, obviously I, I wish it did. I wish COVID never happened, of course, but it was a very good point in my life for it to happen because it's, it said to me like, you've. Like I say, you've put all of your eggs in you one basket. Too comfortable. Yeah, you need to start spreading yourself out just I in see. case. So it was a really good lesson to learn whilst I was sort of 25, 26. Yeah, I think so. a lot of people learned so much. Like for me specifically, I was in when COVID started, it was one in the first month, it was terrible. Mm -hmm. And then it was like one of my best financial years. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'd done everything. Good for you. And it just shows that the 
the opportunity is, is always out there, isn't yeah, it? And it takes just... guys like you that go out and find it. Yeah, you just have to think, you know. And what what happened with COVID was you had nothing but time. Mm -hmm. You had time for yourself to yeah. think of where you want to be at, you know. But it's amazing that you've been in the pilot industry for eight years. Yeah. Like you, how you, how old was you when you actually got into it? Uh, so started pilot training at eighteen and then finished uh, at twenty. So I did my first flight with passengers at twenty years old. At wow. Easy Jet. Yeah. Well, it is, was... there, is there like a statistic out there? for the youngest ever pilot? Uh, there is, I think they trumped me by a couple of months. So wow. yeah, I'm still a bit salty about <laughs> that, yeah. Um, but no, it was weird because obviously 20 years old, you've I was almost living like a double life. Like at work, I had to be so professional and so mm. on it all the time, um, especially because it was my first job and I wasn't that experienced. Like it was, it was really hard work. It was such a steep learning curve. But then when I finished work, I'm a 20 year old single guy. Yeah. And like, as you know, like we used to go out and party and like yeah. blow off steam and whatnot, but it was almost living like a double life. Like it was, yeah, it was, it was really, it was, it was it's quite hard to You were just finding yourself. Yeah. You know, absolutely. just figuring life out. That's it. Um, but yeah, it was an amazing experience. Using your pilot, pilot as a pickup line. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe a bit of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, it was weird. And I used to get people who'd walk on the aircraft all the time and be like, are you old enough to do this? It's true. Yeah. That would be a bit concerned. Yeah. Like no, people don't have their driving license that day. Yeah. You know, no, that's true. So yeah. to be able to actually have a pilot license and the, just like the know-how, like how, how's it even possible? Yeah. You know, did you always know you weren't going to that industry or was you like pushed by, let's say family no i don't really know how it happened so my dad was in the air force but he he wasn't flying in the air force he was more of the engineering side um i just really had like a interest in not in aviation specifically because i was never one of these guys that sat and uh, did a lot of plane spotting and sat in a field and watched planes go ahead i was always just very yeah. like interested in aircraft and i've got quite a i don't know mechanical mindset and just enjoy sort of physics and stuff like that. So, and whenever I used to go on holiday, I always used to be really interested in the aircraft and what made them tick. And I thought airports were like one of the most interesting places in the world. I see. Um, and then that kind of just stuck with me as I got a bit older. And then, yeah, just finished my finished my GCSEs, um, started doing my A-levels and just said to my dad, I was like, look, this is like what I want to do, but I have no idea how to do it. And my dad sort of said to me, go and get the grades and I'll help you with everything else. And he said, if you wow. can get the grades you need, I'll, I'll help you pursue it. And, and now, now he was a man of his word. Yeah. 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 Supported me all the way. Um, my mum and dad, like, that's why it was so amazing to take them away, like business class, okay. the Maldives last week, because without them, I would obviously not be mm. where I am now. Not just from a financial point of view, helping me with the pilot training, yeah. but just pushing me and giving me the skills and sort of the guidance yeah absolutely i mean giving birth to you anyway, yeah you know? that helps that really did help to be fair but um, that's amazing yeah so just it was a bit weird finished a levels and or midway through a levels everyone's looking at ucas applications and yeah. everyone like all the teachers are, like gathering around like helping like critique ucas forms and stuff because I didn't go to university either. That's why I asked you, did you go uni? Because I remember for, for every, since I've known you, you've always been a pilot, but I've always known you be, to be younger than me. Yeah. So I was like, how, I was like uni doesn't fit in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I was uni was kind of a backup for me, but I knew that I didn't need it to do fall what back. I wanted to do. Yeah, it kind of yeah. was. Um, but the teachers had no idea what to do with me. They're like, where do you want to go to uni? I was like, I don't. Yeah. I want to be a pilot. And they were like, Right. Okay. Yeah. No idea how to yeah. how to guide me through that process. And again, that's what I'm trying to do to help sort of 
not just young people, but also parents of young people sort of say to them, look, I had all these problems as well. There was no guidance for me. There was no, no one held my hand and said, help, let's do this. This is the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Watch out for this. It was all me and my dad sort of going to these open days and slowly piecing everything together. So I've now written a book or a guide, um, which sort of explains to people like exactly what you need to do, what you need to look out for, um, in the hope that it's a bit more streamlined than my process. I see. Would you be able to like give that a basic breakdown for people who like me, maybe are, is there, is there still a possibility for me to actually become a pilot? Yeah, is it too late? No, no, not at all. <laughs> so if I, went, if I was like, woke up tomorrow, I wanted to become a pilot, where do I start? So there's specific flight schools that do all of the pilot training. Um, most of them for qualifications wise, you, you don't actually need like a huge amount of qualifications to get a commercial pilot's license. Um, it then just depends on which airline you want to fly for, whether they'll recruit you with just GCSEs or whether you need A-levels or a degree and whatnot. Um, but it's pretty much just flying, finding a flight school that's best for you. Okay. Um, it depends how much money you have to throw at it, obviously, because there's different ways you can do it. You can do it quite an expeditious way on one program called the integrated scheme, which is what I did. Um, and that's slightly more expensive, or you can do it at like sort of a pay-as-you-go method where you do a bit of your pilot training and then you might break and you might still be working full time, earn yeah. a bit more money, pay for a bit more and then repeat the process, which could take five plus years. Wow. Um, so it just depends on where you are in life, how much money you have behind you, whether you can commit to just solely pilot training for 18, 20 months. And obviously, if you've got a family and kids, you can't just That's very true. put your life on hold completely. So the fast, what's the fastest method that you can become a pilot? So it's called an integrated scheme, um, which is the one that we did. And it's about 18 months. So from starting my pilot training to actually flying passengers was 20 months. That is so quick. But I got, we was incredibly lucky. We got a job offer so quickly, Mm. Um, not through any skill of our own. Obviously we passed everything to get us to the point where we were eligible to be employed. But the industry was going through like a boom at that point. It was 2015. Everything was just doing really, really well. And we dropped into the holding pool, which is like a pool of qualified pilots. And then the airlines recruit you out of there. So I got an email at five o'clock saying, congratulations, you've been entered into the holding pool. Three minutes past five. Congratulations, you've got a job um, offer from EasyJet. And that's it, so easy like that. Well, that's part of the reason why the pilot school that I did my pilot training with are one of the favorites in the world because they do have these relationships with other airlines. So that's kind of the big thing because it's all well and good being qualified to be a pilot, Mm. but no one gets qualified to be a pilot just to be qualified to be a pilot. The the point is you get a job get your foot through the door and actually line you up. So they have a really good uh, credibility and history of training pilots to a certain standard. So the airlines know this guy's come through this flight school. He's going to be good enough and we're going to be able to mold him to the way we want him to work. Yeah. So they Um, literally train you and you don't even have to shop to an interview. No, you still have to do an interview. Um, So there's two different types of pilot trainings. You, You can do a sort of sponsored scheme where, you'll apply for pilot training with an airline. So okay. there's an EasyJet, it's called an MPL program. Um, so I'll apply and I'll interview with EasyJet before I do the pilot training. So EasyJet will say, yep, yeah, once you've finished, you can work for us. Yeah. You do all your pilot training, which will then be completely tailor-made around EasyJet. They'll set the course for you and everything. And then at the end of it, as long as you've passed everything fine, then you've pretty much get a guaranteed job with EasyJet. Wow. Yeah, which is cool. And then a lot of airlines in the past were paying for, were doing that, but then paying for pilot training as well. What? Yeah, so British Airways were doing future pilot program, 
which is is it like a government like a grant the equivalent uh, so the airlines actually pay it all themselves yeah. there's no government grants at the moment to get into the aviation industry mm. which is pretty unfortunate um, because it is so expensive but yeah like the BA one was incredibly popular I think they had like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of applicants for 12 spaces wow. it's just how do you like whittle that yeah. down to 12 people um, but yeah they they pay for all the pilot training and then you're guaranteed a job at the end and then they just bond you to the airline at the end so you're bonded for five years or so you have, it's like a contract but no one leaves BA so yeah it's like the dream if you can get in on that program and that is it yeah yeah, good. yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I've got, I know quite a lot of guys that did it. Um, they're just not lucky to do it, obviously, because they were obviously excelled at some point to get selected yeah. against all those other people. But yeah, what an experience. And touch word now that COVID's come to an end and everything's sort of moving on, more airlines are starting to do that. So they're starting mm. to sponsor people to do their pilot training. Yeah. Which is great because most people can't afford to pay for pilot training. No, and true. therefore... They, they open up the internet search and they might see my website and say, this is how much it costs to be a pilot. And they close it and go, that was, yeah, there goes that much yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah. I can't do that now anyway. And they might go and work for, work in a job that they didn't really want to do and save up for 10 years and then might have a, not a midlife crisis, but when they turn sort of 35, they might be like, oh, I still really want to be a pilot. And they still can. Yeah, and at that point, they might have enough money behind them. They might have enough equity in a property or whatever else to do the pilot training yeah and it actually happens a lot there's a lot of guys that join into the industry in sort of mid late 30s wow um because you don't need to retire until you're 65 so, so still you got can... quite a long career ahead of you yeah I'll, I'll because i don't really see many young pilots in general that's why i was just curious to know like is it is there are there certain companies that would just cater specifically towards let's say a more mature person um, like you know how you get a budget airlines do they tend to go for the cheaper pilots because or like to be able to pay them cheaper because their no, flight actually is cheap not really no so it's it's mainly down to how they interview um, mm. potentially yes potentially airlines do want people who have got experience maybe it's not to do with their age maybe it's to do with experience so obviously if one candidate's got 5,000 hours flying an Airbus and another candidate's got 500 hours then there's probably going to be quite a big bias going into the interview process. They're probably already looking at the 5,000 hour guys thinking, but at the same time, the 5,000 hour guy might have become molded into a sort of pilot that doesn't fit the airline structure. So there is a real sort of caliber of people in each airline. So we all sort of follow them to this sort of spectrum of person where we're all, we're all quite similar in quite a lot of ways of how we think. I was in personality wise. Yeah. Okay. So that's very interesting. Yeah, it is. It's almost like breeds like a little um, a cult. <laughs> yeah. Well, not quite a cult, but family. Yeah. Well, it's, it is strange. Like there are obviously there are the exceptions either side of the line, but most people are quite similar. And it sounds. Do you hover before you take off? Do you have like pre pre flight rituals? <laughs> no, like we have incense. We have like a golden five minutes. We call it where like when you meet, you're not meant to talk about anything to do with work. You're meant to like build that relationship. Okay. So you say like it's the usual spiel, like how are you doing, coming from far, yeah. blah blah blah. I've been busy, that sort of stuff, and it sort of builds that. And you can you can learn a lot about someone in that five minutes about. Mm. Um, how you need to sort of compose yourself, not even in the professional aspect, just to keep the other guy happy because I'm a co-pilot, some call it. It's, it's my role as senior first officer, so I'm not the captain. But as a first officer, you are a bit of a chameleon. So different captains have different personalities and different sort of, we call it an authority gradient. So some captains are extremely authoritative and it's sort yeah. of more my way or the highway. Less so nowadays. Back in the day, it was 
really, really like. As in they call the shots. Yeah, you're sort of there for the ride. Okay. But that was that's how it was in the in the in the past for sure. My airline and previous airline is actually not like that anymore, which is nice. But there are guys who are more like that. It's yeah. not completely like that. And then there are guys that are very relaxed and chilled out and yeah. very like minded. So that five minutes when you first meet them, you're trying to figure out like how do you compose okay, yourself? Vibe. Yeah. And obviously what you do at work is the same sort of the same thing like you follow the same standard operating procedures you do everything in the same order every day it's like following a script pretty much and instructions yeah. you do this then do that then do this then but you also want to get along with the other guy as well because the better you get on with someone and the better your sort of uh the better you cooperate obviously the safer the flight's going to be so if you really don't get on with someone and there's an emergency situation you you do default back to sort of sops and but you're talking you specifically about so you have the captain and then what's the next person? So first officer, it's called nowadays. Okay, first. So you're talking about that specifically? Yeah, so the, the relationship between the two of them. Mm. And the better you get on, usually the better you work together in a in a sort of professional um, aspect as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. You do meet some people, you sort of think... So when you when you get your pilot license, you can't just become a captain? No. So What's you, the requirements? So you have to build a up a certain number of hours for it. So it's usually around 3,000 hours on the aircraft type. Um, but then there's all sorts of other sort of variables as to whether you want to become a captain or whether you're good enough to become a captain. So 3,000 is the minimum, but some people might need 4,000. Some people might hit 3,000 and they've been ready for 1,000 hours before that point. Um, but that's the natural trajectory to actually... Yeah, so it depends. So uh, the airline I work for, there's short haul and there's long haul, and it's done more on seniority at my airline. So the more senior you are, the better your life is pretty much. So... <laughs> If I'm a super senior at my airline and I say I want every weekend off, they'll give me every weekend off. Whereas okay. if I'm really junior, I won't get anything I ask for. I see. So if you, when you become a captain, you automatically become more junior because ultimately captains have been in the airline longer because they needed more seniority. Okay. So it's then trying to manage the like lifestyle balance against the salary and the respect of being a captain, I suppose. So I've got four and a half thousand hours now. So I've got enough hours to become a captain. And I'm not saying I'm good enough to become a captain, but I could apply and do the course. And hopefully if I did um, pass it and become a captain. But for me, from a lifestyle point of view, I would be so junior as a captain. Okay. Um, because the captains are traditionally a bit older. They've been in the airline a bit longer. A lot of them have gone and done long haul for like 10, 15 years as a first officer and then come to become a captain. So for me, it's not quite worth the lifestyle trade-off at the moment, I even see. though it's extra money and a bit more sort of So respect. what's the actual difference when you're sitting in the cabin? So you have the captain and you have the first officer. Yeah. So one's actually navigating the plane or actually driving the plane? Yeah, so at my airline in particular, it's very much we do the exact same things. So some airlines, like EasyJet prior, there were certain things that the first officers weren't allowed to do. So they weren't allowed to reject a takeoff. They weren't allowed to park the air, aircraft um, and a few other things like that. Whereas my current airline, they're very, very big on the first officer does all the same things that the captain does. So when the first officer then trains to become a captain, they've already done these things. Um, so the captain is ultimately the final line of call. He is the commander. He is in charge of the aircraft. He's the one there that's the sort of final line of defense. Um, but usually we'll do it. So if we do two flights in a day, we'll have um, pilot flying and pilot monitoring. So I might take the flight out to 
Malaga or something. So I'll fly it there. So I'll do all of the actual flying. I'll do all the PAs. I'll do all the steering on the ground. Um, and the captain will monitor everything. So he'll do the radios, he'll monitor um, and that sort of thing. And then we'll land and then we'll switch over. So I'll then monitor on the way back and the captain will fly it. And that's all quite weather dependent. So if the weather's really nice in Malaga, but really, really treacherous in London, then it would make sense for me to take it to Malaga because the captains have a higher set of limits. They can land in more of a crosswind. Because Which got... mean limits? As in you talking about experience? Or... So the more, when you become a captain, your limits, so crosswind limits mainly, sort of the big one. So when the weather's pretty bad, the captains are usually the ones that have to step up and do it. Um, because as a first officer, we have a limit on what we can do. So my crosswind limit is 20 knots. So the wind straight oh. across the runway. So when it's really gusty and turbulent, like, you know, when Big Jet TV was doing the yeah. interviews at, or the live uh, streaming at Heathrow, that would have all been captains because the weather was outside of the first officer's limits. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. So you, there's actually a legal limit that yeah. you can't, there's a threshold that you cannot actually pass. Absolutely. Yeah. So as soon as the wind it. gets on, gets over that amount, it's over to the captain. Is that the same for nighttime flying? Yeah. I yeah. thought so because I oh, think... Uh, no, so if the, sorry, if the wind is the same at night, it's the same, but no, we can... Night, no, I'm talking about like literally flying in the dark. No, no, night's exactly the same. So, so. you can, regardless of day or night, you don't need, there's no le uh, legal limit to no, it. No, no. Oh, it's I'll... more to do with the runway conditions. So if it's a super contaminated runway. I see. If it's windy, if it's foggy as well. If we have to do an auto land where the plane lands itself because we physically can't see the runway, that is a captain's duty. So they will okay. always carry out the auto land because it's, you're close to the ground. You can't see the runway. It's more, you need more authority to do it as per se. I see because I watched the, I don't know I'm sure you probably watched the Top Gear where they're racing in Bugai yeah and James May was like I need to land the plane because I can't fly at night time so that's that's because he wasn't a he wasn't an airline pilot he would have had a private pilot's license but not a night rating okay. so when you do your pilot training you first learn to fly like all the really basic stuff so you take off and you fly straight and level and you if I turn this left look what happens we go left yeah. and like really like basic stuff like when you learn to drive like yeah if you put your foot here like, still learning but then once you've done the basic stuff flying in daytime it's then time to transition that and put a night rating onto your license and some okay. people never do that because it's not much use flying at night usually but you would have to do that if you want to fly commercial yeah and absolutely so there's, there's certain things you have to get you have to get your you have to be able to do the basics flying and then you have to do the night rating and then you have to do the multi-engine rating. So fly from one propeller aircraft to two propeller aircraft and then your instrument rating. So flying completely off your instruments. So they put like a hood on you so you can't see it outside the window and you just have to do all of your flying just oh, using all the like gauges the and everything. I see. Yeah, obviously you land and take off looking outside because it'd be dangerous to take off without yeah. instruments. But I mean, looking at like pictures, there's like a million buttons. How would you know? Like... It's just the same with anything, I guess. So the more, the more you do it, it just becomes really normal. And then you just kind of know where everything is. Yeah, we do have um, quite a lot of help in the cockpit and more complex jets. So I fly the A320, um, which isn't as complex as some of the newer ones. But Does that A represent Airbus? Yeah, Airbus okay. A320. Um, so we have the panels overhead and they have sort of, it says fire, air conditioning, electric. So if you do have a day where you're, you have a brain fart, you can just look up and sort of, <laughs> and, and that's not just when you're having okay. a brain fart I should say as well in an emergency situation like your heart's beating out of your chest yeah. and like it's an opportunity where 
I don't know if you've read the chimp paradox where you've got this sort of chimp in your head and it's like rattling to like panic and the prehistoric nature takes over where you just want to do everything straight away without thinking about it. Um, so that's the time where it's really handy to have these sort of not instructions, but labels. So if you need to press a fire button, if there's an engine fire or something, instead of just going up and trying to find it, you can just follow it up and it'll say fire engine fire and then look for the button, the number of the engine and everything. So it's like a map. Yeah. It's all all the ergonomics in the cockpit like have been designed to the absolute T for pilot performance. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Because I always thought planes were so old and they just re-renovate the interior. No, not well. It, I mean, the technology in some of the aircraft was sort of made in the 80s or 90s, mm. but it's still unbelievable what these jets can do. Yeah. I mean, the aircraft I fly in, FSA 320, as we said, the, its capability is amazing. Um, it's such a reliable piece of equipment and it's just just really looks after the pilots as does all the Boeing fleets and everything. It's, yeah. That's why flying is so safe because every time there has been an incident or an accident or something worse they literally pick apart exactly why yeah. that happened. And we learn so much every time something happens to make sure it doesn't repeat again. Yeah. Cause and I yes. remember when there was crashes and then you they read up on the black box. Yes. And it's, it sounds like it's, they, they just learn what's happened from that and implement it through a software update. Absolutely. Yeah. So throughout the whole, all, every plane gets the same update. So yeah. it just knows to never happen again. And not even the updates, they train the pilots on why it happened, what to look out for, what to do differently. But, yeah, that's why when there is an air crash, and obviously it's an awful, awful event, yeah. but they do you do learn so much from it. And that's why when you watch air crash investigation, if you watch air crash Do you watch it? I that's used a to back in the day. Um, I, yeah, back honestly, in the day I, I used to watch it. You know? Yeah, well, it's uh, like, if you look at it, it's all of the, pretty much all of the incidents are like pre-year 2000. And that's because every time something does happen, as we said, you just learn so much from it and the aircraft get better at protecting the pilots and the mm. pilots get better at noticing and trapping and understanding these mistakes and whatnot. I see. And that's why flying is so safe because we we learn these lessons, not just the aircraft engineers, but we as pilots, every time something happens, we look at it and it's in part of our sort of training cycles every six months. And we say, why did that happen? Yeah. What would you have done differently? Um, how can we trap this so it doesn't even get to the point where it's actually happened where we stop it before it does happen we notice what's about to happen and we stop it there and then Mm. instead of just letting it get to that situation then having to recover or whatnot yeah um so yeah we learn a hell of a lot and the black boxes are obviously instrumental so outside of like your normal day-to-day flying do you ever have to do just training so every six months yeah we do two days of simulators have you ever tried the i think it's microsoft flight simulator is it good i tell you what if you if you spend enough time on microsoft flight simulator you'd be able to fly a plane from point a to point b because because you'd learn how to make the aircraft do an auto land as well so as long as you could do the takeoff and like retract the flaps and everything what do you mean by auto land so that's what happens when it's foggy and we can't see the runway okay so the aircraft is programmed to be able to follow like a, a beam a lateral and a vertical beam all the way down the runway to the point of touching down. Yeah. And then it can obviously touch down slap bang in the middle of the runway at the right place at the right speed. Whoa. So as long as you learn how you can learn how to program the aircraft to do these things, there's no reason why you couldn't take off and fly from A to B. Obviously it'd be a bit different if you encountered weather or encountered an emergency situation. Yeah. I guess that's where the pilot training and that's why we get, page well if i'm sitting in my office and my chair playing max i'm not gonna get the feedback exactly yeah so our simulators are full motion 
So they're on the stilts. So yeah, when you're flying, you like, One. if I kidnapped you now and like blindfolded you and knocked you out and then wake you up and you were sat in the back of the simulator for probably the first 10 seconds, you'd think we were in the, in the real jet. Wow. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, they're cool. Even when you have to take, take off, it feels yeah. exactly the same, the well, G-Force. It's not exactly the same. Obviously, there's a bit different, but the, as you take off, the simulator will tilt back so you get the feeling of sort of G, a little bit of G-Force. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty incredible. So they can obviously um, give you the representation of turbulence and wow. engine failures. You can feel the sort of thing yaw to the side as well. So they're, they're pretty incredible pieces of kit. It is because like technology has advanced so much yeah. that now you can have software out there that can actually teach you how to fly. Exactly, yeah. And that's why uh, when, I don't know if you've seen the film Sully, so they like... When, when they land on the Hudson, they like take the black box and they input all of the data into the simulator. So the yeah. simulator will repeat exactly oh, what I happened. See. So when things happen, we don't have to guess like this happened there, this happened there. We can fly the exact same path and look and try and understand what to do better wow. and how to do these certain things. So yeah, the simulators are like amazing. That's creepy though. Yeah. Because it, I guess... <laughs> do you ever really investigate black boxes outside of crashes? No, I so mean... So the only time you're really actually using that when a bad event has happened and you're trying to learn from it. Yeah, so we get... Obviously, we're... Uh, the airline I fly for is a big company and the company I flew with before were a big company as well. And companies do tend to share data internally. So they'll share... Each jet will share data with Ryanair, perhaps. Probably not those two, but... Yeah. Um, so when events happen, even inside of my airline, if an event happens, then we get a monthly update of like all the things that have sort of happened that aren't accidents, of course, but just things that um, could be done better or just learning points, really. Um, obviously, it's an incredibly, incredibly safe industry, but there are still certain things that happen that could have been done better. Mm. And we learn from them. And we every month we have these flight flight magazines type thing, which tell us like, be vigilant on this, like our oh, winter's coming. Uh, here comes the icy weather. So this is what to look out for for ice. We need to de-ice the aircraft. Here's how you de-ice the aircraft. Here's what to look out for when you're de-icing the aircraft. Here's the risks if you don't de-ice the aircraft. So the flight safety team at each airline have a really pivotal role yeah. in just keeping you sort of refreshed and keeping you keeping your mind up to date. And obviously we have that responsibility personally as well. Like we've got to keep up to date, mm. um, make sure the brain is ready for all these things and there's a lot of stuff we have to do at home before each flight to make sure we're up to the task yeah because you can't you don't just rock up to your job and no. just get in and fly right no no we have, a, have a we have a briefing process together and then even before we brief most guys have looked at the stuff at home as well um but it's one of those jobs where you could do it for 50 years and you still don't know everything yeah it's um it's just constantly learning and constantly trying to improve what's like the best part of flying um would you say is it is it being able to explore other countries i think so so the airline i work for now obviously we do a lot of night stops so i'm short tour at the moment so mostly european night stops but i think i've probably uh explored every european city now really yeah and got paid as for in the pleasure. city not just countries no city pretty much wow. obviously there's some that i haven't been to but all of the all of the cities where you'd probably think if you were trying to take your wife away for example yeah. where should we go for a city break like i've been paid to go there, to fly there. And then they pay for the taxis, the hotels, which were always really nice hotels um, in city centers. So yeah, that's a huge perk of the job for me. And because I've got no kids um, 
and it works nicely with my girlfriend and my schedule. She comes away with me quite often as well. Yeah. It really does give me the freedom to just go away and enjoy these city breaks. Um, so yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, that is pretty. a that is a huge perk, and that's why I wanted to be a pilot. And before, when I was flying short haul for EasyJet, we just did yeah. there and back, there and back, there and back. So although I'd go to these places, I'd only ever see the runway. Okay, of so course. we'd land and we'd have like 25, 35 minutes and we'd spin it around and come back to yeah. Stansted where I was based. Whereas now I land somewhere and I could have one day, two days, three days there. Because I didn't realise that short haul flights, they'll wait for the plane to arrive because it's going to go back to the same destination yeah. they come yeah. from. Yeah. And obviously the last flight of the day will leave the aircraft there at like 11 o'clock at night and yeah. the early crew will do the early flight back to London in the morning. Yeah. So yeah, it's... um traveling is like i say it's why i really wanted to be a pilot to go and do all the travel and see different places and uh, i should be going long haul hopefully next year what's the transition process to go going from short haul to long haul is it just hours uh yeah so seniority again so when you join my airline you're fixed on the aircraft that you join on for like five years yeah. sometimes longer so i've done or i've just done my five years on the aircraft now so i'm free to move to another aircraft um, so the aircraft I'm going to move to is another Airbus. So it's very similar inside. It's just a bit bigger and a bit more modern technology because it's a newer jet. So the process itself is um, simulator details. And then they'll yeah. put me on line training, which is where I will fly the jet. But I'll be with a training captain. Mm. So still training for a certain number of flights. And then once I'm signed off, that's just that just becomes my new ride pretty much. Wow. Yeah. But if I was then to go from Airbus to Boeing that's a completely different, like the systems are completely different. It's just all different. Like instead of flying with a stick, I've got this big yoke in front of me. And oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and systems are different. Oh, is that the differentiation between... Airbus and Boeing. Yeah, okay. you can always tell side stick is Airbus and then uh, yoke or control column is but Boeing. But are you trained to fly both? No. So we have what's called a type rating, which is this is your aircraft, this is what you fly, and you're trained to fly this jet. And that's like your license? You, yeah, and you can have more than one type rating at any time, but airlines will never never usually give you a dual type rating just because it's obviously not as safe as just being stuck on one aircraft. Whereas some people might fly for EasyJet and they might be type rated on the Airbus A320, and then they might work for a private jet company outside and they might be type rated on a, I don't know, a, a private jet, an Embraer yeah. or G6 or something yeah. like that. Um, so you can have more than one type rating, but usually when you work with an airline, you only have one. Oh, that's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, like I said, it's just the the aircraft. They... But would the airline just <clears throat> stick to that one brand of uh, plane? No, so uh, obviously the a lot of airlines do long haul and short haul. So like Turkish Airlines, they have... Airbus A320 and Boeing 737 for short haul. So that's two different types of aircraft just for short haul. And they'll have like, they have like four different aircrafts for long haul as well. And while that sounds really good, you then have to train, you have to have more simulators to train pilots and you have to have yeah. pilots on different fleets. So your training costs go up. But obviously you need different jets. You need a short haul jet and you need a long haul jet to be able to operate an airline that does short haul and long haul. Because my aircraft, for example, couldn't make it to the Maldives. It'd get just about to Dubai, maybe. How, how, do, you, how, how do you figure that out? Is it literally just a fuel gauge? Yeah, so usually it's how much fuel you can take, yeah. So some of the some of the aircraft I fly, they're really sort of good for sort of six hours. Um, but you can get the extended tanks put into the aircraft, which is like a upgrade type thing. Yeah. Um, and then you, could, you can fly from sort of New York to London on one of them. 
Um, but the long haul jets are obviously designed to fly further. They've got huge wings, obviously, on the long haul jets, which is where all the fuel's stored. Yeah, um, I thought because I don't know if it's true because I thought when I I think I read somewhere where it said based on amount of passengers that are booked for that plane will determine the amount of fuel on yeah. board. So it's all on weight. Yeah. So weight. if you look at like the lift equation, it's all it, weight is a huge variable of it. Um, the more lift you need and therefore the more weight you have the more fuel you need to do it because the engines have to work harder you need mm. more speed and whatnot so yeah if it's a completely empty flight if you're just yeah. doing like a um, positioning flight or something moving an aircraft from a to b with no passengers you you might use i don't know 70 percent of the fuel that you'd use on a f- uh, fully loaded wow, flight i see yeah so and then you have the other thing to think about is where so if we're taking off from somewhere hot like uh jordan in amman we need to fly the aircraft back and have enough fuel to get it back. But when we've got a full passenger load and all the bags as well, we also need to have enough performance to be able to take off because there's certain limiting weights that the aircraft have so that we've got a maximum takeoff weight. So we can't be above that maximum takeoff weight. So then it's like... How would, how does that ever get measured though? Uh, so we do a lot of weight and balance and like load sheets and stuff. So everything's taken into account. So all passengers have like a standard weight. So there'll be a standard weight for men, standard weight for women. Is there a weight for you, like a requirement now? No, I'm slightly over. You must not be this. Yeah, no, trust me, definitely not that. Um, But yeah, there's standard weights for like passengers, for baggage, for like if the water tanks are full, for like passenger water, for toilets and taps. Mm. Um, We then have to make sure the aircraft's in trim. So obviously if it's too nose heavy, then it's dangerous because the aircraft won't be able to fly safely. So there's there's a lot of factors and it's a whole separate department in each What's airline. Fast? You know when you fly budget airlines, yeah, the pilot will come on a PM say, please stay in your dedicated seat Absolutely. and don't move from blah 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 yeah. because it's we're taking this account for the weight. That's actually real. Yeah, yeah, no, that's generally, no way. Yeah, we're not just trying to keep people I in cheap it was a seats. Scam. No, no. So we always try and say like we'll we'll speak to the cabin crew and be like, guys, um, everyone needs to be in their seats for takeoff and landing because trim. But once we get airborne, are you happy for guys to people to move? Yeah. And if they're like, yeah, we are, then I'll make sure in my PA, I'll be like, please just, please just remain, remain in your seat. And I'll make sure I say for safety reasons. So people don't just think I'm being tight or cheap yeah. or whatnot. But then I will say in the cruise, you are then free to move seats as long as you speak to the cabin crew and ask first, because it generally is like weight and balance. We need to make sure that it is perfectly in trim to fly safely. Wow. Yeah, there's, there's so many variables. And that's, yeah, that's the I'm stuff. that guy who would sit somewhere. Yeah, it's just because I want to be with my wife or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. oh, no, I did not know that. Yeah, and that's why. Because that. I panic, you know. Because sometimes, you know, when there's an empty flight. Yeah. And there's so many seats, I'm like, sure, why don't I take my whole road to myself? But I panic when someone comes close to me. I'm like, oh my God, this is their seat. This yeah, is their seat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or oh, they, figured, they figured me out. Well, I still managed to sit in the wrong seat when I got on the flight back from the Maldives the other day. So it happens to all of us. That's I for see. Sure. Yeah. Some woman came up and she was like, Do you get preferential treatment? Uh, not preferential treatment. I get our oh, staff travel is quite nice. So I get mm. nice seats, but only if they're available. So say I've been allocated four seats in first class and then last minute a family rock up and they're like, we want four first class seats. My staff travel priority is so much lower than these (laughs) guys who are spending like 50,000 pounds on first class seats, obviously. Um, But we do get really well looked after. We, like I say, we flew to the Maldives and back in business class. So myself, my girlfriend, mum and dad. So four seats in business class returned to the Maldives. Obviously costs quite a lot of money if you were to pay for it well just getting to the Maldives in general is expensive yeah, no, economy absolutely. anyway yeah so that's that's one of the big perks about 
being a pilot for airlines that do a lot of long haul flying. I mean, mm. in America, you're treated really well. If you're a pilot, you get um, a lot of good staff travel perks. And the same in the UK, but less so, I'd say. But we still get treated pretty nicely. Wow. What's, what, do you, what, what would you say the difference is between the UK and US? Um, because I thought... You know how you get different airlines that are associated with like an alliance group? Yeah. Is it kind of not the same concept? You know, there's times I flew, I was expecting it to be uh, this company and then when I joined the actual yeah. flight, it's a different So you expect British brand. Airways and you might get American Airlines. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah, so from a working point of view, being a pilot in America is slightly different at the moment because they're going through like an un unheard of pilot shortage. Really? Yeah, like they were cancelling tens of thousands of flights over over the last summer. Um, so at the moment, the pilots are kind of in the driving seats with terms and conditions and pay and salary because yeah. the, the demand far outweighs the supply, which in any industry is good if you are the if you're the party that's working. Yeah. Um, whereas in the UK, we haven't quite hit that same pilot shortage yet. So obviously, the tables are slightly askew in America compared to the UK. For example, Delta Airlines pilots just got a 34% pay increase. Wow. So some captains at Delta will get a bigger pay rise than my salary. Wow. Yeah, so they're really in demand at the moment. I think it's going to get to a point where green card applications start coming out to UK and Western pilots um, just because they, they physically cannot fill all of their spaces. No way. Yeah. In As in you mean the actual countries can would actually offer you a green card yeah yeah wow yeah because they're in a dire situation they have all this travel demand because the cunt you can't just drive i mean if if we try and book a flight to scotland and they and it's five thousand pounds or there's not a seat we go train drive fly like yeah. we can get there it's a six hour drive maybe worst case whereas in america if you need to do an internal flight and you decide to drive it you're talking about driving for like the best part of a day almost aren't yeah you? it's across from let's say east coast to west coast can take you forever yeah exactly and you so, wouldn't want to do that driving no so there's so much um like even if you take out all of the international flying in america yeah. just the internal flying is just huge man i think that's just broadening my horizons i think i should go that's how i should get my green card because my wife's yeah. american <laughs> she's like yo this i'll fly instead of having to go out my way to file file for the application and pay the fees i should put that money into a pilot license yeah and go yeah, get a pilot license well, it's, it's not happened yet but i i suspect <laughs> a, yeah because if that was the case wow yeah and it would really stir up the industry in the uk and europe as well yeah um, you've noticed that with many industries you know yeah. like it's during covid and world hgv crisis where they were just poaching people from like the EU to Absolutely. come over and to be their drivers. Yeah. yeah Supply and demand. Yeah, well, in America, it's slightly different. When you finish your pilot training, you then need to acquire 1,500 hours before major airlines will touch you. Like, it's a legal requirement. Um, there was quite a nasty air crash in early 2000s, and the pilot was quite inexperienced. Mm. And I think... I can't comment on it quite enough because I don't know enough about it. But at that point, the American Federal Aviation Authority said, right, you need 1,500 hours now to fly for a commercial airline I or see. a major commercial airline. So in the UK, I finished my pilot training and they give me a job with zero commercial yeah. pilot flying time, pretty much. Whereas in America, that's unheard of. You've got to go and fly seaplanes or be an instructor or fly Anything with less than nine passengers, I believe you can do it. So work for the smaller regional airlines and whatnot and then work your way up. So those 1,500 hours, there's a lot of pilots that are struggling to get through that period because mm. it's not like here. I'm going to finish my pilot training. I'm going to go work on a jet aircraft for a major commercial airline earning 
good money with good benefits at America you you finish your pilot training and you're like maybe Still I'll work for an instructor and not get paid much yeah. maybe I'll work for that regional airline sounds like a part like the equivalent of like a pass plus yeah it's almost like a like like an apprenticeship type yeah. thing genuinely it's and it's um but is there more is there actually more perks to be an American pilot outside of pay um, I think it's like anything. If you look at one job in the UK versus America, there's certain pros and cons. So you get paid more in America, but you get taxed more in America. Cost of living you is more. You get really good staff travel, but your pension's not as good. You okay. get your health insurance included, but there's all these different yeah. variables. So because I've not flown in America, I can't say what's better and I what's see. worse. But if you're looking at it solely for a, a pay yeah. point of view then yeah the states. I guess it also depends on where the airline actually flies to of course too. yeah and where you're based as well so yeah. it might be all well and good me being like I'm gonna go get a job in America and be paid like twice as yeah. much now but then I might be based in the but middle if you're of just nowhere doing like, yeah Utah or like yeah. doing domestic flights to ship sick <laughs> yeah and and someone said to me about the whole aviation career it's like you're holding two buckets and you've got to try and make them balance and one bucket's full of cash and the other bucket's full of shit and you've got to try and make them balance out. So obviously, if you want to work and earn loads of money, the chances are that other bucket's going to be pretty heavy and full of I rubbish. See. So all of the really big paying contracts, most of them are sort of um, in the Far East. And the terms and conditions are What like, do you mean? Far, like Middle East or South East? No, like China. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that sort of demographic of the world. And the Would they still recruit? Uh, people outside of their country or yeah so before covid the contracts that they were offering to try and entice westerners to go over there were like unheard of is it like footballer salary you know the equivalent uh, of when footballers go to yeah, that yeah, country absolutely yeah. um so like captain salaries out there were like triple quadruple five <laughs> times the salaries they can expect in the uk but there Hell was money man there was no protection so if you did something wrong the airline wouldn't say that's okay like it's our fault because it's our training we haven't trained you properly whereas they do yeah. in the uk and america they go your fault you pay yeah so you pay for that so that's prison. 10 percent <laughs> off your yeah prison so that's 10 percent off your salary Same trade yeah and then uh it's it's more you know we're talking about the sort of cockpit authority gradient like if i went over to china as a first officer and obviously this isn't the case of everywhere and i do generalize but there is historically much more of an authority gradient so if i thought the guy the captain was doing something dangerous um, and i was like oh have you thought about doing this or like maybe we should try this yeah it'd be it would be a shh or like okay. a, and then again uh, I, gen uh, I generalize not yeah, all airlines okay. are like that i'm gonna disagree <laughs> just by be just having my experience being in southeast asia white privilege goes a long way <laughs> yeah fair fair but, but I, I don't just be in awe they were like wow this guy's so tall but i think they've got a lot of guys especially because they're paying westerners so much money to come into the airlines i think there's a lot of uh i don't really know what the word is i think i'd be annoyed if someone came from another country to fly okay. for my airline and got paid three times as much yeah. as me it's like people coming over stealing their women yeah <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of money to be made on these contract jobs, but a lot but of them... But that would mean you would have to reside in the actual country. Some of them have commuter contracts, so you'll do like two weeks on, two weeks off. And yeah. if you're just, if you're young and you've got no family commitments and you're just doing it for the money, like, brilliant, like, absolutely. Yeah, because I think that's the biggest problem when I look at it anyway, is how do I make time for my friends and family back at yes. home? Because yeah. you're constantly going. And I don't know if your schedule is consistent or like regular. No, not at all. You can be flying one day and having X amount of days off. But even like relationships. Oh, yeah. Because I knew you was coming and I was speaking to my wife. I was like, I don't know if I, we, I could do it. Yeah. Where I'm gone for like a whole day. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is, um I mean must take a lot to get used to. It does and it it's um it's more of a lifestyle than a job, I'd say for a lot of people. I'm really lucky I've met my girlfriend and we we share we have so much in common and we want to be with each other, but then also our working lives just match up. She's on social media, so she has no set dates where she has to work. So my schedule can work around her schedule or her schedule can work around my schedule. And when she's not at work or doing things or have commitments, she can come away with me on trips yes, nice. and whatnot. And I think it's it's also like a nice healthy balance because when I'm on days off, there's no real take-home work. And we're mm. in business together at the moment, so we're working really hard together and doing sort of different things. So then when we go away, it's that like age old quote that distance makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, it's very true. And I'm not saying I want to go away and leave her by any <laughs> means, but it does, it, it creates this, you. yeah, it does humble you and it makes yeah. you miss each other and it makes you... Appreciate what you have back at yeah, home. Yeah, it makes me really, I get home from like a three or four day work trip and I'm really excited to get home and see yeah. like my girlfriend and my dog as well. And, That's nice. And it is really nice. And I think we both quite like the fact that we're both quite independent in our, I mean, she's built her entire career herself but it also sounds like it gives you both space yeah yeah exactly and she's built her entire career herself and i've built my entire career ourselves so when i go away she's completely um it's not like she's moping around no exactly <laughs> yeah. she's not relying on me for her like social presence or her work presence or anything like that she's got her own life yeah and i've got my own life and when i come home we then have a life together yeah, so that's i nice. think it's quite healthy to be so i guess it's also a finding that right person oh yeah to be able to yeah live to have that relationship a lot of people struggle with it and then there's the age old like um i don't know a lot of people think pilots go away with work and they're all up to no good with the cabin crew and whatnot yeah. and it's i mean because there's so many movies out there I they're know. in cocaine hotel <laughs> and i think back in the day yeah absolutely was yeah. like that it was really rock and roll um i speak to guys who are like just coming into retirement sort of 64 65 years old and that's what they talk about. Well, the the aviation industry back then was so glamorous. The wild, wild west. Yeah, yeah I mean, there was on planes. Could yeah. you imagine? Yeah, I know. There was no like low cost airlines. Like yeah. flying was glamour. If you could afford to fly, you were in the yeah. top sort of five percent. And they'd go away and they'd stay in these like really exclusive hotels, and there'd be no phones or social media. So whatever they got up to down route stayed down route. And yeah. I'm not saying like, I want to live that <laughs> life by any means, but it was a completely different yeah, time. Yeah, it was very and, glamorous. It was time when the Concorde was around. Exactly. Like, yeah, and pilots. At one point, there were, I think it, there were more known Concord pilots than there were footballers. No way. Uh, oh, no, basketball players, sorry. So, like, Concord pilots were more famous than, like, the most famous basketball players yeah. in America. And to now think of that, like, that's just a completely different yeah. time, isn't it? That's, like, one plane I wish I could, ever, like, experience. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I don't, it's just the beauty of it. Mm. And being able to get to a, a city, another country, in, in that rapid time. Yeah, no. And that was... The thing is, they built the Concorde at the same time they are inventing the washing machine. So like, wild. so far ahead of its time. And this, yeah, the aviation industry itself, like, when I look at the warplanes... Yeah. Like, the S, SR-71s, yeah. the B-20 bombers... These are old planes, yeah. but they look so futuristic. Like I know, and it's it's both a blessing and a curse because all this new technology came from war. Mm. Um, they say there's the famous quote that nothing drives technology like a good war. Yeah. And as sad as it is, it's true. I mean, there was all this technology being produced for, like you say, building the most complex aircraft, building the most complex engines, building the best stealth aircraft, etc. And that was all driven through necessity of war. That's why Concorde was made when it was made in the sort of 50s opposed to in the 90s because everyone was trying to break this sort of supersonic sound, sound barrier, barrier to make their jets and their surveillance jets the most efficient and the yeah. most sort of 
feared as possible. And that's what drove Concord. Do you think that the sightings, specifically in America, they'll have UFO sightings? Yeah. I think it's also going to be 20 bombs. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I get so many, like, you wouldn't believe how many questions I get on, like, social media being like, did you have to sign a, a decree a of, like, secrecy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, to yeah. say if you see any any uh, UFOs or drones, you're yeah. not allowed to talk about it. Like, well, on, guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> was it? No. Okay. I mean, if I saw a UFO, I'd be like, you'll be the first one to Yeah, here I am, guys. No, I'd be really excited. It's, yeah, it's true. Yeah. I think if anyone's going to see one, there's going to be people who are up in the sky. Mm. But yeah, I think specifically those planes, if you also see them in the sky, it just doesn't look like it belongs there. There's a. So we primarily fly like 30, between 30. 2,000 to 44,000 depending on how heavy the aircraft mm. is what aircraft is some private jets fly all the way up at like 54,000 feet and there's no weather that high so if you're in a private jet some of them go all the way up to 54,000 feet and they don't need to go around weather it's not bumpy because they're so high up there's also, no there's weather no turbulence there's no wind nothing yeah so that's like unbelievable flying like super high up and then because the, they actually need to uh, increase their altitude in order to is the air thinner yeah so it's more efficient you can fly faster yeah. usually as well and it's just like i say the fact that you're just over the top of weather you don't need to deviate around any weather or anything mm. but the like these military jets like the blackbird and stuff used to fly like 70 80 000 feet like and Mac, there's Mac like a two yeah like mac three mac four yeah. yeah like when the soviets used to fire missiles at them there defense mechanisms mechanism was speed go faster yeah. and they won't be able to keep up that's so wild i know it's amazing but there's a famous clip like an air traffic control recording in the u.s of a i think it's the blackbird flying and they're like requesting like uh we call it flight level so like flight level 540 so 54,000 feet okay and the air traffic controller comes back and goes if you can climb to 54,000 feet you can have it and they go roger descending 54,000 feet and everyone's just like oh how high was he before? I see. Yeah, gang- like ultimate gangster. That's a movie. real clip. Yeah, yeah. That so, sounds like a Top Gun. Scene. Yeah, no, genuinely. What, I think. What, have you been? Are you a fan of the movies where he's like flying up and he's breaking, going breaking the space barrier? The last, remember. the last Top Gun movie was brilliant. It I was thought. It was so good. I mean, they Is didn't that, want to make another one unless they like did a really good job. Yeah, I cool. think it was. pretty It makes perfect. aviation look so cool. I know. But I came out of the cinema just feeling like such a loser. Douche like there's back. all these guys like flying fast jets, and I'm just sat there. Like oh really drinking... you'll be the guy wearing the your, oh, no. your costume <laughs> yeah. uniform wearing my flight jacket with yeah. your like aviator <laughs> yeah. yeah your sunglasses as a racking up there like yeah i'm a pilot i'm a pilot no it's, it was a yeah it's a great film but ultimately i wanted to go into fast jet um that was my dream like when i was younger i wanted to be a fast jet pilot but raf cutbacks no mm. recruitment because that's what i was going to ask you because there are the equivalent, you know how you have the Thunderbirds in America? Yeah. So I think the RF is the equivalent. The Red Arrows. The yeah. Red Arrows, that's yeah. it. And they able to just fly like supersonic speeds and this must be amazing. Yeah, so they, we actually have quite a few Red Arrows pilots uh, where I work. Um, and I've flown with, I think I've flown, I've had one of them in the simulator as a training captain. And yeah, these guys are like the, the edge of the sword. They're, wow. they're on it. They're, they're just leagues ahead. You think you know like... You're, you think you're ahead of the aircraft and like anticipating what's going to happen next and they're like an hour ahead of you. They're just yeah. so, yeah, their brains just work differently. Because um, when, I, when I, was, I was listening to another podcast where another pilot was explaining what it was like to fly a fighter jet mm-hmm. and a, the G-force and the strength required to yeah. manoeuvre, I don't know what that's yeah, joystick. Yeah, manoeuvre, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it requires so much strength mm-hmm. and yeah. your 
sweating. And not even strength, like, not, it's not strength as in like gym strength. It is the strength to be able to hold the blood in the right mm. places because I've not pulled. That's a, how people pass out. Yeah, I've not pulled a huge amount of G. We had to do upscent recovery training, which is where they put the plane upside down and they say recover. So you have as to an figure actual out. real plane. Not a commercial jet. It's a smaller like um, single engine propeller aircraft. But in that we were pulling like, uh, could be wrong, but like three, four G. And that's uncomfortable. That's a lot. But the worst G is negative G. When you're being shot up instead of shot down, it's, you can, people can always um, last longer with positive G-force than they can with negative G-force. So that's the one where you have to... So you're like weightless. <laughs> yeah, positive G-force, you've got to like just hold everything yeah. in, squeeze your legs to try and stop the blood pooling in your legs. Because you've got to... The reason people pass out, obviously, is because the blood pools down low yeah. and there's nothing left in the brain, brain. So it's good night. Scary, man. But I've been so lucky. I've flown with so many ex like tornado pilots and like Harrier pilots and stuff. And mm. I've heard some incredible, incredible stories. And these guys are, yeah, amazing. But you wouldn't think it. They're just normal people, normal guys. Yeah. And unless you were some of them, are, you get, it's sort of 50, 50. Some of them are like, before you shake their hand, they'll tell you they used to fly fast jets. Yeah. And the other half, you have to really drag it out of them. Yeah. And the guys, usually you have to drag it out of them, are the guys that are very, obviously very modest. And they have, they're the ones that have the stories as well. Like, and yeah, some of the, I'm really fortunate to hear these stories firsthand from these guys. Because yeah. I, I don't think there's many people that sort of had the experiences that they've had, especially when we go on a three or four day trip. We spend all that time in the cockpit together. Then we might go for a, a beer together or go for some food together or dinner together and then you you hear a bit more so it's really fascinating is, is there any planes out there that you want to fly um because from from a commercial point of view or just i'm not necessarily commercial point of view because you know how is that is the speed capped because <clears throat> i yeah if it was me i feel like well i want to experience what a, a fast plane yeah, can do you can't do it in a modern airliner obviously yeah a, you get fired and b the aircraft just aren't so you know when you're close in like 500 plus miles an hour yeah is there possibility to go faster uh no and yeah so we have structural limiting speeds mm. um which the aircraft will tell us like how fast we're allowed to go and the aircraft can ultimately go faster than that it's like here's the limit of what you should do and here's the limit of like what the aircraft could actually do okay and you can't if you went in that zone on purpose you so how fast can like an a320 actually go so we work in mac numbers so yeah. like obviously percentage of um speed of sound so the 320s maximum mac number is decimal 0.82 so 0.82 of the speed of sound and obviously that depends on how high you are, or low you are how thin or thick the air is and whatnot um the long haul guys can do sort of 0.84 so a bit far or i think they cruise at 84 i think the limit on them is 0.88 mm. and then you get some business jets that can cruise around like just under 0.9 okay quite comfortably but it, it, there's all sorts of like variables so usually the how swept back the wing is is a huge variable so if you look at all these like suit like concord's wing was just completely swept back yeah so you get this thing called mac tuck where it's pretty nasty where once you start hitting these like ludicrous mac numbers or getting close to the speed of sound the center of pressure on the wing like moves further back and further back and further back is that what creates the it's what creates the lift pretty much okay but that center of pressure once it moves back beyond a certain point in the wing the aircraft tucks under and like almost just does like a front flip and no they way. found that out the hard way back in the day because they'd get so close to reaching the speed of sound and the yeah. aircraft would just tuck under as in it'll go like this the note yeah literally just do a no right way over. so obviously nowadays we don't fly close to that speed unless the aircraft's designed for it yeah but that's why on uh 
most commercial airliners, the wings always swept back. So instead of just having a straight wing, yeah. it's swept back. So when the sensor of pressure moves backwards, it's got a larger surface area to do it. I on. see. Whereas you look at like the Spitfire and it's not a swept wing at all. It's just, uh, I can't remember the exact term for it. It's a really specific wing, but that gives it ultra maneuverability. But mm. it's, it wouldn't fly at like fast speeds. It would just... Just spe specifically designed for maneuverability. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's why Concorde like was just like an arrow yeah. almost just so swept back and like the blackbird as well was just like a giant wing pretty yeah. much would you have to go into the military to fly those fire jets is there anywhere yeah you have yeah, I mean, way you could buy one if you had cash you Did can you buy... watch the pepsi pay me my money or something like that no their pepsi done a campaign i think it was like in the 80s 70s yeah where if you collect enough coupons on the can they'll yeah. give you a fire jet. And it wasn't like a million equivalent. So the, they, they actually worked it out like, why don't I just buy all the Pepsis and claim it? And it was a big scandal because it at that time, uh, you know how if you were to market something, you have to fulfill, fulfill it. Yeah. And they didn't have no terms and conditions. So they went to court for like many years. Because they, they said, oh, do this, you can get a jet. And people and actually tried it. to do it. Yeah. But they didn't pay out in the end. Uh, but that's amazing. If you, how would you even buy a jet? Well, the thing is, uh, like most guys like ultimate to fly is the Spitfire and that'd probably be the same for me as well it's like the old warplane right yeah it's yeah. pretty much like one one as the Battle of Britain and like, mm. it's got so much heritage and history but it's also just like an engineering like work of art I see like Merlin like V I can't remember what engine it's got like V18 engine or something or W18 engine or something stupid it's I like see. a beautiful aircraft and they just sound amazing and look amazing and they're fast and they're agile. So for most people, it's like a classic car equivalent. Mm, I can see that. Um, so that's like the dream for most. And a lot of people or a lot of companies and some private people own Spitfires and they're now worth like a couple of million, two, three million. Wow. And they then rent them out. You can fly them hourly for like a couple of thousand pounds an hour. Wow. So a lot of guys I fly with, like they turn 40 and they get their wife gets them like a Spitfire experience day or something. That's <laughs> That'd be cool. But other jets you can fly, like if you could buy a, you know what the Red Arrows fly? Mm. Excuse me, the Hawker Hunter it's called. You don't need like a specific license to fly that, I don't believe. So if you bought one, you could just casually cruise just have a it. go in it. Yeah, I don't think you need a type rating, which we talked about. Okay. I think you can pretty much just fly it on a normal license. I could be mistaken with that. I see. That's what I've heard, so... Uh, that, that seems like a completely different realm to me, you know, like, I wouldn't know where to begin, like, oh, it's like, it's not, it's not like you can just park your car. No, no. You gotta leave uh, in a hangar. But that's all experience again, isn't it? It's just, yeah. the more you do it, it just becomes, like, I used to get to work when I was like 20 and I first started flying these jet and I'd be like, I just have so much capacity zapped by like quite basic things. But with experience, you just, sort of stuff happens pardon the pun on autopilot like you know what to do next you know to do this here you know to watch out for yeah. and i'm not saying it's a doddle at all but generally day-to-day -day flying when the weather's nice and everything's going fine should be boring almost yeah it's yeah. very is very samey everything's mundane not mundane but to a to an extent it is um you follow the same steps you do the same things at the same time mm. he does this then i do that and then he does this and that triggers me to do that again yeah. And everything just rolls. And then it's the reason team. why it's such a complex job is because no two days are the same. So this day, the aircraft could be slightly different for this reason. The weather's different because of mm. this reason. So there's just a lot of different variables. And it's the main part of the job is risk assessment. It's yeah. figuring out like what is the biggest risk and how are we going to stop that from happening? Yeah. So my brother works in insurance, and which is obviously all risk versus payout reward. 
And I think my job's really similar to that. I'm looking at okay. this, each situation thinking, right, what is the risk here? And then obviously you've got the the technical ability to fly the aircraft and the manual handling and stuff, but it's mainly thinking ahead. It's a very much a thinking man's game. But if everyone runs on like autopilot, is it still interesting? Yeah, because the autopilot is there is is a tool to fly it. It can't mm. do it on its own. It still has to be told what to do. Yeah, but do you still find enjoyment? You know how you can rock it. This has become second nature. There's certain things, of course, that you have to check in on. Yeah, of course. But like I said, you know, when it, when everything's good, it's boring. Yeah, it can be. Um, I think if I was doing long haul now, I'd probably have a different answer because I think the long haul boys do get pretty bored cruising over the Atlantic when the weather's fine and you've just got a set course and not many radio frequencies to check in on. It's then very much a monitoring and planning game, as we said. So nothing's happening. You're poodling along, but... If this did happen, what would I do now? Where's the closest yeah. diversion airfield? How much fuel have I got? Can I get back to London? Do I have to keep going where I'm going? So as long as you keep your mind working like that, then it's it's not boring as such. It it can be for sure on the yeah. longer flights, but there is always something to be thinking about and something to do. But yeah, of course, it does get boring. 10-hour flights over the Atlantic. Like, do you get to sleep on those 10-hour flights as a pilot? Yeah, so a lot of the time, the longer flights are three or four crew. So the Maldives trip I just did, there were three pilots. So they'll all be in there for takeoff. And then after takeoff, one of them yeah. will go into the bunk and they'll have their four hours sleep. And then they'll come back in. And the guy who's going to go have their rest next will say, like, here we are, this is what we're doing, this is what's happened, here's, what's, here's the state of the aircraft, the weather ahead looks like this. Mm. They'll do like a mini brief and then he'll shoot off and get in the bunk and then rinse and repeat. Um, we're allowed to do controlled rest when there's two pilots, so it's like an actual procedure. You don't just fall asleep. Um, it's very sort of to the script. You One of you will decide to take no longer than 40 minutes rest um, in the cockpit. Okay. So you, <laughs> you yeah, can recline the seat. Yeah, you can recline the seat. Um, it is actually like a, a procedure. A lot of people think, oh, the pilots are just falling asleep. But as long as you do it safely, there's like no risk to it. You just okay. have to make sure that everyone's aware of what's going on. And ultimately in the cruise, when there's not much to do, you don't need two of you to be diligently monitoring all the time. So if one guy does have a, have a snooze just to catch up and sort of rebuild their yeah. situation levels and whatnot and just catch up on sleep more than anything. Uh, the other guy then has to be a bit more diligent and make sure mm. they are pretty much on it. But the cabin crew, we have to tell the cabin crew as well. So they'll call us after like 30 minutes and just to wake you make up. sure everything's fine and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah, you so you can have rest on short haul, even those two pilots. Do you still eat the plain food? No, I actually, well, <laughs> yes and no. I try not to because of my autoimmune disease. My body's quite sensitive to food. Okay. So super salty food, like saturated food, which does tend to be on... The aircraft good stuff. <laughs> yeah the good stuff um i try and take my own food to work or buy it in the terminal but of course i do sometimes eat the aircraft food and it, it doesn't kill you as long as you have it every so often definitely not but i mean there's a big difference between economy food and business yeah. class one is a plate yeah you get the real calorie. Foil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and a plastic fork exactly one's prison yeah. food no i'm i'm sort of in the mentality that i mean i started flying at 20 years old i'm mm. potentially gonna be doing this until i'm 65 like maybe who knows it's a long time and like, I'm, fit. I'm really into like fitness and health as you are like i yeah. wear the aura ring to track my sleep yeah. i like to know what's going on in my body and i'm trying to like sort this aging process out slowly because it's not a healthy job you sit in a chair all day there's no real That's very true. there's no there's nowhere to get up and stretch your legs really you can stand up in the cockpit but 
there's about that much of the cockpit that's big enough for me to stand up in properly. Mm. And then if I go outside the cockpit, I've got all the passengers looking at me and I want to keep like a professional appearance. I don't want to start doing like Pilates in the, in the yeah, galley and stuff. <laughs> so there's being sat down all day. There's the lack of access to healthy food. Like I can't be at 38,000 feet and be like, I'll just get like a healthy delivery or a pop to Tesco <laughs> and grab a meal deal. Yeah. There's none of that. And okay. then there's the like different sleep patterns. So it might be an early for, early pattern for two days and then yeah. a late pattern for two days so circadian rhythm gets thrown off which then affects your mood and then your food habits and then everything and yeah. sort of piles up and then there's the the fact that people don't think about is when we when you then go away you we stay at really nice hotels and we have access to sort of nice hotel food or we can pop out and explore like local cuisines and stuff so then you tend to eat a lot when you go yeah. away as well it's an easy way to experience the culture yeah which is really nice but yeah. when that's all you, when you do a lot of work trips and that's all you do you have to make sure you are absolutely kicking it in in the gym as well that's very true so the first thing i do like i always try and Hotel as soon as gym. i land get in and we're really lucky that our company provides us like external gyms so not the hotel gym so we have like partnerships with like uh pure gym or anytime Equipment. fitness yeah so we can go there and actually use nice gyms and for me that's like i just need yeah. that especially yeah do a 10 hour day of being sat down all day. I just need to move. Yeah, yeah, what I've noticed when I'm doing long flights is when I jump, when I get my workout in, it just resets my body. So I get a good night's sleep 100%. and I wake up the next day not jet lagged. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't it's waste so my time. Yeah, I think and so. And I've, I'm, I'm starting my, I've been into fitness for like however many years now, 10 plus years. For as long as I've known you. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Like I've always had a sporting background and it's yeah. like flying is my job. I'd say fitness is more of sort of a passion thing. It's your hobby too. Yeah. And, it's, uh, well, it's your DNA, you know? Yeah. It's exactly. like you can't function without it. And I just don't feel you good without it. You need endorphin, yeah. yeah. That's like... I noticed if I don't work out, I'm just not myself. I'm the same. I'm not as sharp. I'm, a I'm bit not more going snappy. to look good. I'm going for my mental yeah. capacity. Yeah. And absolutely. And I've, I'm starting doing some like, I'm finishing off my qualifications at the moment to get like an actual PT qualification. And it's like 50 50 of the guys at work. Some of them like don't really get why I'm doing what I'm doing. They're like, oh, you're going to the, you're going to the gym as soon as you land. Like, come out for like, yeah. come out for food or whatnot. And I'll be like, no, like, gym is gym and like not even gym just doing something just like sweating. yeah mobility or just something like that is number one that is the essential and then if i've got time to do the other stuff i'll do mm. it but if the gym and my sleep are like sacrificed it's a no-go yeah. for me i'd rather gym and get a good night's sleep than go out and mm, because i guess that, that's the hardest part of just visiting any country in general is you want to be out you yeah. know you want to be it encourages you to have a beer, even though you don't drink so much. Yeah, it's like you want to try the pasta it's when you're in Italy. Just the social side, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and and don't get me it's wrong, it's an experience. Yeah, I'm a massive foodie, and I've ex I've experienced a lot of these places, and it's brilliant, and I still love it. But I still do have to have my like non-negotiables. Like I will do that when I've looked after myself because I have to keep a class one medical as well. Like every year, I get assessed on my medical fitness. Yeah, and although it's not like. You don't have to be like an ultra marathon runner, obviously, to keep a class one medical because I'm sure you've seen some pilots and I'm sure you're agree. Yeah. Not all of not all pilots are in like amazing shape. I don't want to be the one saying No, but they're healthy enough to fly. Like yeah. that's the point. It's not to assess if someone can run a six minute miles. Are you healthy enough to fly the mm. aircraft from point A to point B safely for the next year? It sounds more stringent than the test to get into the army. When I spoke to yeah. a guy in America, he was like, the only requirement is one pull up yeah well you don't even have to do that in this country it's just it's generally just 
are you safe for the next year to fly? Like, can pretty much, can you sit down and fly? Yeah. Like, they check your... Does your joint still work? Yeah, check your blood, check your hearing, check your vision, check your, like, check some different levels of different things. And it's all just, it's, mm. it's pretty basic, but you can lose it. And if you lose your class one medical, you lost your job. Like, you I can't see. fly without it. Yeah. So it's a big, like, it's a big responsibility. And like, I played football yesterday and it was our airline versus another airline. And before, like, you've got these young guys, like, running around, and they just don't really think, like, they come in for, like, a two-fifth attack to you. Yep. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, we do the same job. You yeah. know if I lose my medical, that's me done. Like, yeah. don't be an idiot. So in the end, we have to say, like, no slide tackles. I mean, this is why I feel like, as I've got older, I just, I, I specifically choose what I do for sports. Yeah. Because people's not going to consider what I'm doing as a job yeah, yeah. in consideration. So I don't play sports because yeah. they're injured. Well, I was I'm boxing dumb. before and I think one one wrong punch, like I, I would never fight. I'd spar with my trainer who was very respectful. Mm. He was an absolute animal, but he was very respectful of me and my job. But I think accidents do happen, even if I'm wearing like a thick head pad. If he just catches me wrong in an eye and my eyesight goes, that's my job done. Like, yeah. And like I say, I've got, potentially 37 years left doing this and I want to see out my career even if I don't do it full time I still want to have flying as an option in the future so because I know outside of commercial flying you can then just do like you know you can fly like the UPS delivery ones yeah no it's it's a really good path like um cargo flying's really well paid and you don't have to think about worry not worry about passengers but obviously you've not got the the more passengers you carry, the more likelihood there is that something might go wrong in the cabin. So medical emergency or whatnot, mm. especially in today's generation where we are typically pretty unfit. Um, yeah, I did not realise that. That you know how lithium-ion ba- batteries. Yeah. There were they're banned. Huge thing degree. at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember I read something about. I think it was a UPS cargo flight. At that time, there was not many inspections done on battery and a battery caught on fire in mid-flight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the plane went down. And now this is why there is so much rules and regulations and what batteries you can bring on board. And, and it's little things as well. Like the business class seats, as you know, like they slide, they're like on a, on a motor, so they slide forward and back. They say to you in the PA, they say, if your mobile device gets lost between your seat, do not move your seat, but tell the cabin crew immediately. Because there's been cases oh. where people's phones have got stuck and then the motors have like penetrated the battery. And even in in an iPhone, it's quite a powerful battery and that's caused problems mm. and sparks and it's not caused any major problems, of course, but just little things like that. And that's, again, what people forget when they go flying. Like a lot of the time, because flying has got so normal for so many people, they get yeah. on, they think they're getting on a bus and a train. Yeah, You think this is not, like we are going flying it's 38 we're six miles above the earth it's minus 60 degrees up there yeah. we're moving at like almost the speed of sound and people just completely forget that it is still although it's very normal nowadays to go flying and there's thousands or hundreds mm. of thousands of flights a day we're still going flying like we're not we're not yeah. made to fly yeah like our bodies are not made to fly we, we shouldn't be you up to find the laws of physics yeah we are it and is. that's what people forget like sometimes when the weather's bad and people people are having a go at the cabin crew i'll like go down and be like sir it's like is everything okay? And they're like, no, like, I'm going to miss this meeting and do that. Yeah. Because I feel like everyone that gets on planes in general, there's, there's all, everyone's anxious. Yeah. Because everyone's just be at their destination and they don't want to waste this time to transit. Agree. And it is stressful. Everyone feels like on, yeah, Traveling it's very stressful. stressful. Like airports are just so stressful. Mm. I get stressed when I travel and I go through airports almost every day. But you get the 
free, the quick pass TSA. No, like through through airports, I don't get much like, much treatment. It's like sometimes some airports, but when I fly home from an airport, like it, I don't really get specialized treatment. No, way. and it is stressful. Like it, it, I understand. Like when someone gets on the aircraft, and if they're like, there's different levels of rudeness that are acceptable. If someone's just anxious and wound up, it's very mm. easy to de-escalate them. So you you just have to get on that level and say, look, I I know, like I understand your stress. I know we're delayed. It is stressful, but like yeah we're gonna be okay like everything's fine blah blah it's the people that get on and they're just like swearing at the cabin crew or yeah. swearing at us or whatnot you just think you can't it's treat true. people like that no I, yeah. I i do agree and i've been on i've been on so many planes where it's just like man i just you just look around and just everyone is it seems like everyone's flying for the first time yeah no. but they're not no you know everyone's still anxious mm. oh they, they keep forgetting to put on the seat belt or oh shit where's my seat worrying about having to put their luggage up and it just and like when slows as soon as, down the process so yeah. much and when you get on stand like before the seatbelt signs are even off everyone's like like Ready it's like a hundred meter race <laughs> yeah. like who's gonna get up and get their bag off, out first and it's like, all the same shit yeah it's not gonna save you anytime yeah. and again it goes back to that like risk versus reward philosophy like you're gonna save two seconds here but in the process yeah. like you could harm you like people don't understand that when they stand up before the seatbelt signs are off sometimes when we're parking the plane or something if something like pulls out in front of the aircraft which it doesn't usually happen but of course these things can happen we have to hit the brakes there's 3000 psi going through those brakes they can stop like that they stop instantly if you're stood up you are going flying and i've I've had it before like i've been been taxiing in naples before and we've had like something's happened and we've had to slam on the brakes and we've had passengers stood up and they've hurtled down and they've not just hurt themselves they've hurt other passengers as well that's why it's really important like it genuinely is important it's not anyone being precious it is yeah it's quite a big thing yeah i do notice that i mean certain countries there's some airlines that have had terrible experiences don't forget to fly them again yeah and i'm not here to like name names no, no, of course. <laughs> how many countries have you been to do you still keep track of that no I, you don't I, keep track of it no i was back in the day when i like first started Ooh, but look at me yeah no i've just been to them all now <laughs> i've been to them in another no. country no this is cool though i like i like how you are i just but... put that there because i had nothing to really do i've been to the same countries a lot obviously because mm. europe um but yeah i don't know if i was to count i've been to like the ones that you wouldn't really thing to go to sometimes like Gibraltar yeah and like Slovenia and Slovakia yeah, and places like that as well um, but yeah no it's really really cool to go to these places that you might not think to go to yeah, well I'm surprised I kind of insulted that for someone who gets a fly to these like these amazing destinations you don't even keep track of your yeah your I probably should count. yeah man it's yeah. a portfolio maybe I will sit down and count it it's the same way. as you I'm sure you keep your uh, hours count hours. Yeah, what about miles logbook uh no miles not so much it's just is it just too hard to track yeah like i'm i mean some days i'm doing like three flights a day like over mm. the course of like five days it just i see it's just yeah so it just ra- becomes really like, again like me i probably do take it for granted a lot but these things just become quite normal and it's nice when you sit with guys like and you like call me out for it You're like you should count yeah. like yeah i should like i'm really privileged i get to do this so yeah. it's nice when people sort of bring that back home so have you done any traveling outside of being a pilot yeah so there's plenty more of the world i want to see but mm. been quite lucky growing up with places i've seen but i've not done a lot of the world that's for sure and that's yeah. something me and jess my girlfriend are hoping to do before kids yeah. come along and whatnot definitely because mm. you're well traveled aren't you 
as the maths Jeff. I think I am until I meet people like you. you no, know? you're you're like I. I have lived in like countries. Yeah. Like I've lived in Japan. My wife has lived in India, China, uh, Africa. So she's lived in more places, and she's yeah. and what's crazy, she's not done Europe. Okay. So once she done Europe, she'll she'll be in like the fifties easily. Yeah. So same for me. My other half lived in. I think she lived in like nine different countries growing up. Mm. So she's experienced a lot more of the world than I have for sure. Despite the fact that my job involves <laughs> travel. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's there's loads of the world I want to see. I, I've not done any of Asia. Because you're right now, you're short haul. Yeah. So but once long, long haul, will you better experience Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Once long haul comes knocking on the door, the, the it's world. a different world. Yeah. You know, it's literally a different world, different yeah. culture, different people. Yeah. I can't wait. So I'm like, really excited. There's so many, again, on long haul, there'll be loads of places I'll go to that I wouldn't actively pick up a travel magazine and go, I'll go here. So yeah. it'd be really cool. Yeah. Go and explore like all these weird and wacky places it'd be amazing man that is the dream man it's mm. a bit like if i can go asia tomorrow i would yeah i would and to be able to, be able to go there for work yeah and actually spend a little bit of time here yeah because be cool. it, especially if you're doing it so often three days if you're spending just a couple of days it all adds up mm-hmm. and the next time you go back you can do something different yeah no, exactly and that's like that's part of it as well when i do go long haul like a lot of the culture for long haul is they get there and everyone goes for dinner and a couple of drinks because obviously they're not flying for two days after that one not yeah. so it's all fine but i don't want to go somewhere and just see a bar no i agree like, i want to right i'm gonna to get to the hotel i'm gonna to go to bed and wake up early and i'm gonna get a train or a bus or end up here and go see yeah. this and go see that the great sights. yeah that's what i want to do like i don't want to see the same four walls of a hotel room when i'm not feeling great or yeah. a bar or a restaurant like i, I never understood to. that type of traveling in general you yeah. know I think last year I was able to experience the pyramids nice. and Petra. Yeah. And that was amazing. Yes. Like wonders of the world. So like, and I went, that's what I love to do. Yeah. I went to Amman uh, in whenever it was December, I think. I was so excited to get to Petra, but it was like 44 degrees. Oh, I went that, in Jack. Oh no, where did I go? I, I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, recently. I'm, I'm desperate to go see it for sure. So yeah. next time I go there, hundred percent. It yeah. was stifling. Yeah, it was stifling. I and think I've never seen your. Did you put it on your Instagram? Yeah, yeah I, I, think I have so many photos. I just don't even post of it. Yeah, but a Dead Sea was something that mm. it is amazing to be able to yeah. go there, experience something nowhere else in the world. Yeah, we were because obviously there's always crew at the hotels. Like there's a crew there every night, pretty much. We're really lucky that like the we develop really good work relationships of like not travel companies, but almost like individual tour guides. So we have like this huge network of all these like amazing local tour guides that will like take us through like places where like tourists might not be able to go and like, they know how to to bribe like the security each of these places to like get us through like to places that the general public might not be able to see. And it's an absolutely amazing perk. And like I say, it's something I just, yeah, wow. can't wait to kick up more. It's going to be good. That is amazing. What's the best, what would you say the best country is you've been to so far? I, I get, this is the question I get most. Like, what's your favourite country? Yeah. And it completely depends on like, why I want to go there. And, yeah. Like the time of year and everything else. Um, I mean, winter sun is always awesome. So yeah. like Cyprus, Amman, uh, Cairo, stuff like that. It's great in the winter. Athens, although I think it's snowing in Athens at the moment. So it's a bit of an outlier. I um, think when I was in Athens, it was quite nice. I love Athens. It was yeah, quite nice. stunning. Um, it's very cheap yeah, too. Yeah, people are lovely. Like, yeah, amazing country. Um, I don't know. I really like Scandinavia. Like, I okay. love Scandinavia. Really like the people. Love the culture. Love just really, really nice. Um, in the summer as well, it's awesome because it doesn't get dark. 
Yeah, that's just weird like, though, man. Yeah, it's weird. That would be a trip for people. Us, well, especially like imagine you're jet lag, you're flying, your sleep patterns all over the place, and the sun doesn't fucking. But because set. because I'm not doing that much, uh, I'm not like experiencing that many time zones because I'm short tall. I don't yeah. have that many different time zones really. Like I the see. maximum difference is like two hours, three hours. I think okay. Athens is three hours maybe. Mm. So. It doesn't really impact you that much, but it's cool coming to land at midnight and the sun's still like just no, glaring. I don't at you. like that. <laughs> no, no, it's that's like... how I get. Just, I feel like I get sick every time I fly. Fair. So yeah. now I just I don't really enjoy it no more. Yeah. And yeah. I think my immune system has built up a lot from flying. I must say. I did like flying with a mask. Yeah. You can still wear a mask. You can still wear a mask when I have no a moustache. I can't. Uh, true. No one else does yeah, as well, I guess. So I, like, you know, yeah. I got to pick and choose my battles. Yeah, it's weird. Like, a lot of people say they do get sick on flights, but the the filters that aircraft have on them are, like, unbelievable because they're obviously designed to fly from here, one part of the world where there's potentially less or there's different strains of, like, viruses and yeah. flus and colds and whatnot. And they're designed to then go somewhere completely different where there's all these different strains of viruses, flus, and everything else. And the aircraft systems are designed to filter it all out. So aircraft are actually some of the safest places to be. I remember that was like a misconception. People thought the air just gets recirculated. No, it's yeah. actually filtered nonstop. Yeah. What's, what's your thoughts on the expansion of Heathrow? Um, As a pilot, do you notice if it's, as in the landing places, is it congested? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Is it a neat, is it a must? Yeah, at some point we need a we need a, another runway in London somewhere for sure. Because I noticed is I didn't realize when I was flying back from America to UK, I think the airport didn't even open up. So it, had to, it was like six a.m. Sometimes you get back too early. Yeah. We got back too early because we had a tailwind, mm -hmm. yeah. and the pilot just said we have to circulate until it opens. I was like, this makes no sense. I know. The air. Yeah, it is a shame, and it's obviously plays in its hand in global warming and everything like that because there's yeah. aircraft just holding in the sky burning fuel it's so true. yeah something needs to be done um heathrow is like at max capacity pretty much mm. and it's most flights when you fly into heathrow you'll end up holding at some point what's um, your thoughts on electric planes well easyjet and i think it was rolls royce just made their first hydro yeah hydro powered plane yeah hydro powered jet engine yeah which is really cool like so awesome that they're looking at doing stuff like that and that's got to be the future. I don't think, for now, electric's not going to work because battery capacity and Software, putting a man. huge battery on an aircraft is obviously A, heavy, and B, it's a huge battery, as we talked about with batteries yeah, earlier. of course. Not ideal. So I think, yeah, old, different fuel fuel mechanisms, different fuel cells, hydrogen fuel cells going to be huge, I think. Yeah. I hope so, anyway. Um, because I love, I love flying, I love my job, but... I'm always trying to do like everything I can to. Well, you love your tech. <laughs> well, I do. I do love yeah, tech. Love yeah, tech. but I also like. I am. It probably sounds stupid to say, and people will probably ridicule it, but I am quite environmentally <laughs> conscious. <laughs> no, I am generally. Like, do you recycle? I do. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah, I'm not like. I'm not like. Uh, do you recycle your espresso myself. pods? I do. Yeah, that's I'm not like good. gluing myself the to test. the roads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I it was is always in the back of my mind, and I do genuinely always try and do stuff to save fuel, like we can taxi with like one engine shut down around Heathrow and stuff and it's busy or at Gatwick or any airport for that matter I so that see. saves fuel and there's a lot of fuel saving incentives we can do mm. and some people sort of think oh it makes such a small difference but if and all the aircraft in the sky are doing it together then yeah. it doesn't make a big well, especially now with the cost of fuel in general man it's yeah. so expensive yeah. it's like we need to find a solution to this and like a change yeah a new sustainable source 
Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of politics involved with the cost of yeah, fuel as well, sure. isn't there? So yeah, it's all politics. It, whatever, whatever system comes out, there'll be someone trying to drive the price up for their own yeah, profits. Yeah, and I think I, I think the same will happen with electric. You know, yeah. mining lithium iron is not necessarily environmentally friendly yeah, at the same course. time, but yeah. it's just marketed in a way where it's green, and that's all people see. The thing is, though, like we were talking about this the other day, because I go to um, Sweden like fairly often. As in, you fly there? Or? Yeah, I fly there. For okay, and. Um, Sweden have just got it sorted of stuff like this. They're so good. So that all their adverts are for like electric Volvos, electric this, electric that. Yeah. But the difference between us and them is they build the infrastructure first and then sell the products. Yeah. So if you want to park somewhere in uh, Sweden, in Stockholm in particular, and you're not electric car, it's really hard to find a space. Whereas they have so many spaces set up for electric cars. Yeah. So that you've already got the incentive that if I drive an electric car, I'm going to be able to park outside of where I want to go all the time because there's so many electric car parking spaces. Whereas I feel like in London, if you buy an electric car, it's just such a pain. It's a like, pain. where do I charge it? Where do I park yeah. it? All this stuff. So Now it's like they're trying to reinvent the light, but street lighting, so yeah. you can charge from that specifically. Yeah. But again, like infrastructure's got to come yeah. before everything else, isn't it? And it's just, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that we've got yeah. it wrong in this country. What's your favourite lounge? Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's a, if traveling is stressful for people, that is a great way to just relieve a little bit of stress. Yeah, even if it costs that just, bit extra. Yeah, just, just get away from the people. You I know? get that. Uh, I, I think if you've got a lounge, you can just get to the airport super early. You don't have mm. to rush. You don't have to worry about security. Because I think the main problem people experience with airports is rushing. Yeah. Like the airlines say you need to get here two hours before or three hours before and people like stick to that and sometimes get there less. And for experienced travellers, they're like, oh, you need one hour and whatnot. Yeah. But all it takes that one little thing for that. It could be the person just in front your, of you in yeah. security. Yeah, so I'm always a big, like I go through these airports like all the time. Like I know, I know which, work. before I get to the airport, I know where the plane is, like which stand it's going to be on, which gate I need to go to, yeah. how busy security looks. Like I know who's flying the plane still get there like three hours early and i'll just what get there just chill like go to the lounge eat some food like do a bit of shopping but yeah. i don't want to go away and it to be stressful it's just mm. for you me, don't want to feel rushed no i don't want to rush i think that's why the lounges is nice yeah exactly so if you if you pay i mean some lounges are like 25 pounds to pay for i but think that's like the average now if you, just, you have a membership like, yeah like you say if you just get away from like the chaos that is yeah. airports it's nice so favorite lounge I've not really been to that many lounges. Are you serious? But I travel a lot with work, but like I say, I've still got a lot of the world to see um, oh, outside of work. But I don't know. Because I, I like that every lounge offers me a little unique uh, flavour. Yeah. And Egypt, I had the whole lounge to myself. Nice. And it wasn't necessarily a great lounge. The food sucked. Yeah. But it was good enough. Yeah. But then I've had some lounges where it's like, wow, it's actually fine dining. Yeah. And then when in New York, I went to like the Korean Air Lounge. That was nice. They gave you pot noodles. Air Lingus Lounge in Terminal 2 at Heathrow is nice. Okay. It's very random, I know, but it's nice. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, the no, one that stands I, I, out. It's and random, that's exactly but... it because I want to figure out, oh, which one I should go every time I go to Heathrow. Yeah. Because I've tried a lot of them. Yeah, the BA Lounge is always nice. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. But really... I, don't, I think I have to either fly there or. I, I don't because you can't no, my membership don't work there yeah you have to you have to be on club or first yeah. to get into the BA lounges yeah you can't just rock up and pay mm. very exclusive apparently right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no Heathrow's got some decent lounges Gatwick's got some nice lounges as well and really? I think I think at I've Gatwick the lounges are central because I okay. think yeah the terminals at Gatwick aren't tiny too yeah 
Like Stansted as well. Same I think too. that's the worst airport. Stansted. Everything I spend there is just a waste of my money. Yeah. Like nothing's worth it. So I end up sitting in like a coffee shop to wait for my flight. Well, I used to work out of Stansted. That's where I was yeah. based of Easy Jets. But obviously I didn't go through the lounge when I was getting flying. But yeah. Because yeah. it's a tiny airport and it's so busy. Mm. I think it was voted like one of the worst airports of all time. Yeah. I remember security there was like, we used to have to delay a lot of flights because security was backed up. I think they have got better now. But yeah, I think so. Yeah. I've had some terrible experiences, but in the past two years, it's been actually really good yeah. as in plane sailing, smooth. I've always had good experiences at Stansted. It's like my first. I mean, you have to say that. But my first airport. It's your baby. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, because now, to... I guess, do you ever go back there? Because um, just if you're if you're not flying out there, no, every other no. flight is kind of small. It's not like short haul flights in general. I've diverted there once, but that's about as exciting as it got. I see. It's when the drone went to Gatwick and closed like Gatwick for oh. a couple of days. Yeah, because I, I remember reading stuff like that where people fly their drones. Mm. Don't do that. No, don't I have do that. A drone. I would never do that. Do not do that. That's scary. Yeah. Why would yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. And I've seen videos where people point the lasers. Yeah, that's a problem as well. But I've seen the the pilot film it. Yeah, and yeah, you could, one recently actually. Yeah, you could see the beam. I mean, like, oh my goodness, so it's strong. Actually, it's so strong. They've had pilots that have been blinded in the past. Like someone hit an aircraft with a military strength yeah. laser and it blinded one of the pilots. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge issue. And how do you police it? You've got you're flying over cities with, I don't know, tens of millions of people on the mm. ground. You get a laser from like five miles off to your left, and you're trying to tell the police where it was. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We got yeah, we got one going to Barcelona not long ago actually. Um just why do people do shit like yeah. that? I don't understand. Yes. It's a ruined thing. I think it's lack of education, isn't it? I think people don't understand. Uh, I mean it looks cool, yeah. you know. I yeah. mean when I was in China people sell it and it's so normal to sort of flick a laser in the sky. Yeah. But I guess where that country was so polluted, it will only make it so far. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, you know, but yeah. is I understand why it's banned in every other country. Yeah. So. so what's next then? So what is it that you're trying to pursue outside of, of aviation? So obviously the flying stuff's like brilliant. I absolutely like love my job and like that's always going to be like my my main thing, I guess. That's going to be my career as such. Yeah. Um, but really into e-commerce. Okay. Um, so girlfriend and I are just sort of relaunching an e-commerce company. Got really into search engine optimization recently. Oh, really? Yeah. It's my nemesis. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. No, I really enjoy it. So, uh, launch, launch a website. Going to try and launch a few other websites. And then the fitness stuff as well. Um, just, I spend enough time in the gym and I like yeah. read enough about the gym and like, it's a passion of mine. So I'm going to start doing Might some well, right? personal training stuff. Um, nothing in person because I don't want to sell my time. Um, no. Because I already do that at work, like close enough. You just want to have like an ebook or one yeah. online. And I do genuinely want to help people. And I'm going to go for like the pilot PT. That's going to be like. Okay. And I'm. Uh, Everything's always related to Well, you. the thing is, like, I'm not. A lot of PTs, and no disrespect to PTs, like, they do a great job, but a lot of them spend all day in the gym. And for some people, that's not like. Rel like you can't relate to that and it's not achievable. Like mm. a lot of guys work a similar job where they're sat down all day. And then when they get home from work, they've got to find the motivation to go and get to the gym and do stuff like that. So I'm going to sort of come at it from the angle that you can be in a really like sedentary job, hmm. but you can still stay in like relatively good shape. I see. So that's the sort of angle. And I want to help people at work as well. Like I have a lot of guys that sit next to me at work and they go, oh, can you help me do this and help me do that? Yeah. So, yeah, so that'll be, that'll be an interesting venture. That sounds good though, man. It sounds like you're just uh, pursuing your hobbies, you know? Trying my best. Your passions. How about you? What's... 
I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't think I'll ever find something that would just lock me down. Yeah. Because it's, I always feel like every year should be a better year and not necessarily financially. Yeah. But it's just putting, putting myself in a position where I'm just learning new things, you know? And should it be businesses? And it's why I started this. Everything I do is just another venture. Yeah. And I don't go into any business expecting it to take off. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's like one of the worst things you can do sure. is expect the best or to make your millions from it Mm -hmm. and i just do things because i enjoy it now and it goes back to how i want to spend my time just to do things i want to do and ultimately that's where you'll find the greatest success isn't it because yeah like the search engine optimization stuff i'm doing at the moment is it's not sexy at all like it's a long burn and i think that's why like our generation like we said on social media we're very immediate. We want to do something. We want results now. No. So I want to post Yesterday. that. And I want 2,000 likes now. Yeah. And I want the this to work. And I want to start doing drop shipping. And I want it to sell yeah. on day one. I don't care about the data. I want to make sale, sales on day one. Mm. Whereas some of the search engine optimization stuff is a long burn. And it is because you're building so much backlinks. Yeah. And I spent oh, fucking thousands yeah. on that. And I just... Well, I'm trying, to do, people to do it, you know? I'm trying to do it all without pay, without buying any backlinks at all, yeah. all organic backlinks and just see if I can make a success of that. And again, I'm not expecting it to do anything. God, like what a niche, like a pilot blog. Jeez, like that's yeah. incredibly niche. It's not, it's hard to like um, create a, an income off of that as well because I'm not selling anything as per se. Yeah. So yeah, it's just like a little side hobby and I'm just learning new skills that hopefully I can apply to something else. And I really enjoy doing it as well. And so. you just... Just update your blog. Yeah, so put new Where stuff can, on there. What's that called? It's called the Pilot Guys. That's so cool. I'm trying to I'm trying to go back to when I was 16 years old and I wanted to be a pilot and I just wanted, yeah. I didn't want and and again there's nothing wrong with this but I didn't go to air cadets and I didn't like I wasn't obsessed with aviation I wasn't obsessed with flying I just wanted to do it but I wanted to know what the lifestyle looked like I didn't want it to be all consuming I didn't want to just be a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot as a job, but then have a life on the outside. Yeah. And it was really hard to find someone that would demonstrate the like work-life balance of being a pilot because I could always find out about how many tons of fuel the aircraft burned yeah. or this, but trying to find the important stuff, like how much does it cost to be a pilot? How do I become a pilot? How much do pilots earn? Like how long does it take to become a pilot? What do I need to do to become a pilot? That's all the stuff I longed for. Yeah. And there was nothing. It's very true. Nothing out it there. It's very true. So, I'm hoping I've had like, some people have been really like really supportive and really like, I'd, like people who spend time to like send like nice messages, like thanking you for something or telling you like something's good. Like I have so much time for that. Like people mm. like really like does mean quite a lot to me. It's good energy. It's yeah. Positivity. It you know? So whenever someone's like takes the time to send me a message saying like, thank you so much for writing this. Like it does feel really good because it almost yeah. feels like that was me. 12 years ago and because even if it just reaches one person yeah. and it makes it impact on that's I just want to help yeah as yeah. long as I help one person yeah. like, I um, there was someone at Heathrow that walked past me the other oh, I said the other day a few weeks ago they're like my son really wants to become a commercial pilot but I just don't know what to do can you help me and I was like yeah like there's a card there's yeah. my website and sent him like a free link to the book and everything and like he emailed me a few weeks later like thank you so much like my 
my son's awesome, just passed man. his assessment day at this pilot flight training organization blah, that's blah. awesome man. yeah it's really cool really rewarding and very rewarding that's what i want i want something that's gonna like i'm passionate about and potentially one day will drive a drive a source of income who knows but ultimately just want to help and just people. encourage other people to get into it and what i've noticed is when people when i speak to people in specific fields and specific niches they do actually want to help or, yeah. or want to like spread more awareness of course to that like prior to even like when I speak to a lawyer, you realise they actually don't make money. Mm. They spend so much of it going through law school and then paying all these fees, court yep. fees, and they actually make a loss for like X, X amount of years. But you'll never know that until you have that conversation with people. Of course, and I feel like we're, just as humans, and especially we're so like private about finances mm. and I want to get rid of that. Like, Is that a British thing or? I think it might be, yeah. And I want to just cut that apart and be like, look, my pilot training cost me £130,000. Like, yeah. that's a lot of money. But if <laughs> yeah. I invested that in the stock market at like a 7% historical return when I was yeah. 18 years old and just let that run, yeah. probably make more money than a career as a commercial pilot because it's yeah, a huge that's investment. Donald, that's what I say about Donald Trump. Yeah. You got to give his Yeah, opinion. yeah, just left it. <laughs> yeah, left, left yeah, it. didn't touch it. He'll be better. So, yeah, but... I just want to get rid of this weird like angle that no one can talk about money. Like mm. people are so scared when they like email in, they're like, there's like, I can tell they're just beating around the bush of like, how much yeah. do you just ask me? Like, how much do you earn? Like, do you earn enough? Yeah. I'm not, maybe I won't tell you exactly how much I earn because that's, but money's all subject to that person. You of know? course. Yeah. Yeah. So what I think is like a reasonable salary, I then it see someone driving past in a Lamborghini in Fulham yeah. and I'm like, he probably makes that in a month. Whereas, yeah compared to someone who's earning minimum wage somewhere mm. at 16 years old, 17 years old, it seems like an absolute fortune. Or well, seems unattainable. Yeah, I mean, if, going back to when I was 16 years old, thinking about becoming a pilot, if someone had told me how much money I'm earning now, which isn't like a lot of money, but back mm. then it seemed like so much money. I thought, I'm going to have this supercar. I'm yeah, have that that's exactly what I said to you earlier, right? Yeah. When you're, when you're so young, your perception of money is so different than what it is yeah. now. And, then, and now you have bills to pay. Yeah, and you've got taxes. And you don't and, factor that in when you're young. Of course, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a uh, it's really nice thing to be able to hopefully help people with getting that's into aviation. Nice, I mean, I worked for a company before whose sole purpose was to get more young people into aviation and, somehow that's kind of that sort of folded somewhere mm. so now i'm like right, it's my turn yeah, i'll lead the cool. child so yeah no it's cool and aviation such a i think it's such a unique industry as well no everyone gets to fly a plane yeah well i i really want to get my light aircraft license back at some point as well so I what can does just, that mean you know like the little propeller aircraft okay. like local airfield because i've not actually got that license at the moment because i let it lapse because um, it's a bloody expensive hobby as well, especially uh, with fuel is prices. Is that just like casual flying? Yeah, so me and you could rock up to like an airfield yeah. and we could book out a plane and like fly to like coast of France for lunch or something and fly back. Oh, so, wow. I mean, we can. That's like, not sexy. Like... We, we could make, introduce a new podcast <laughs> caliber, airborne podcast. No, you know what would be a cool concept is like if you just made a video like, oh, you want to have a lasagna and just get in your plane fly so you yeah. have one to fly back yeah you know it's like i find it fascinating people have like a 24 hours in a country you know yeah. those videos are oh my 24 hours in japan 24 hours wherever it's like man that is amazing well, i'm trying to do a bit more stuff on youtube as well like i started a youtube channel again with the aim of trying to spread like mm. what does a day in the life actually look like and i'm yeah. not focusing on this is an ebsa 320 this is how big the wheel is this is the pressure of the hydraulic system it's more of like what time do I get up? How long yeah. does it take me to get to work? What do I do when I'm at work? Where do I go through security? Do I go through security of normal passengers or do I go through my own 
And then the question is like, when I'm flying with my parents, my mum's like, do you go through there? And I'm like, no. She's like, really? Yeah, because I don't think no one cares about like the... But some people really do care. Only the nerds. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Those are the planes, planes spotters. Yeah, but like people who are interested in... Like, I would have been really interested to sit and watch those videos back in the day and be like, wow, that's what my life might look like. And maybe it will put some people off because I'm trying to really go for the angle that it's not all sexy at all. Like, some, like, Instagram obviously makes everything look really... Yeah, I agree. I have a lot of, like, a lot of time for the people that are posting on Instagram constantly, but it is the the pros. It's never, like, my alarm's going off at three o'clock in the morning. I'm on day six of work. I'm... It's just the reality you want to portray, you know? So I'm trying to share like the, like the last video I did was like the pros and the cons and like trying to yeah. just, like when you're young, if you're not very senior at an airline, you probably won't see a weekend for like a long time. I would and love that's... to be able to one t- one day be on the plane where you're the pilot. We'll make I it think that would be a cool experience. Yeah, we'll try it. Because I, I, I don't know if you're even allowed to show me the inside of a cockpit. No. No, like <laughs> no, unless you've got a valid ID for the airline, it's like I see, it's, it's a impossible. big no-no. Yeah, because I've I have noticed there's these famous people who review airlines. Mm-hmm. They're like the points guy and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah, and yeah. He's, he's great. So how do they get to see something like that? So they see it on the ground. I can show you it on the ground. Um, like you can come in the cockpit on the ground. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. That's what but I mean. But in, in the air, no, 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 of course, yeah, it's yeah. impossible. But yeah, like on the ground, apparently, of like pre nine eleven. Oh yeah, I the used... door would open, but now it's like sealed completely. I was a kid. I used to go sit in the cockpit with yeah. my dad for like hours and just watch them. And the pilots would love it as well because, yeah. like we say, what what can be quite a mundane task of ten mm. hours across the Atlantic, they get to meet people and answer questions. And but we just live in a completely different world nowadays. Yeah, that door is shut locked. <laughs> literally it's bulletproof it's shrapnel proof yeah it's um we have to check every time before we come out the cockpit there's no one that could potentially try and come in and yeah it's a different world it's like we say the the glory days of aviation are i mean it's changed everything us. the way people travel through security everything's changed but, but it's not just the aviation industry i guess if you look at the at wall street or something like that like that you look back 30 years ago how glamorous that was yeah. it was all just Different, yeah. different ball game. Industry slowly changing, you know. Things like cryptocurrency was never a thing. Influence was never a thing. Yeah. Social media, people will never think. Yeah. Now it's like to say you're an influencer. That's actually a real yeah. job now. Yeah. Well, my girl, like my girlfriend's made an amazing living out of it, and yeah. she she out earns me massively. From yeah, and that's what's amazing. A personal brand. So yeah, more power to her. Yeah. But yeah. that's it. I would love to be able to fly on a plane that you're piloting. And just see the inside, and that's it. Let's do it. We'll, we'll get it sorted. When I'm doing long haul and I'm doing more Asia flights. Yeah, I think that's that will be amazing. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Where can people find you? Uh, Stevie Hads on Instagram and on YouTube, or The Pilot Guys is the website. The Pilot Guys is probably the place to go if interested in aviation. But if you're not, it'll bore you if you're not. <laughs> sure.